Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. I'm all right, Rob. Hello, everybody. The king of hooked on wrestling. Yeah, it doesn't You, uh, you annoy me with a different crowd. I don't think so. No, I think no. Grand Emperor is a much better, oh, okay. a much better title. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was trying. I thought there was some sort of um, uh, honour I should bestow upon you. I couldn't quite work out what it was. Grand Emperor. Okay, I should remember that for the uh, yeah. That's the the Actually, I, we, we come to this a bit, a bit of a tricky time. Actually, I, um, everyone has kind of dropped in at the wrong time because I was just. I've been sort of summoning up the courage to say something to Paul, and, and I think now's the time to do it. Um, Paul and I, we've been friends for, I think, coming up nine years, I think now. I think it was May nine years ago that we, uh, we first met, and we've been there, uh, friends and business associates and uh, and whatever. And I, I think it's time now to say, Paul, three words I don't think I've ever said to you before. Go on. Ain't he great? <laughs> Ain't he great? It's actually nearly four words. One of them's a contraction. But uh, tell us the big news of the week, sir. Well, the big news of the week is we have finally been able to let the cat out of the bag. As we record this on Thursday night, put it out Friday morning. You will find that tickets are now on sale for Hooked on Events second spoken word tour. It's new the latest WWE Hall of Famer. For those paying attention, it's probably not a massive surprise. It's the Ain't He Great Tour with Jeff Jarrett coming to the UK in July. We really now can ask the man how he spends his days uh, and he will tell you directly to your face and to all of us. And we are very excited uh, to have Jeff, uh, as Paul says, one of the latest WWE Hall of Famers uh, to come over and to tell some of his stories and listen I think it's one of the cooler gets that we could we could have because um, first and foremost you know I mean this would have been a fun thing to do six months ago but it's even more fun now because of uh, we can ask all about the Hall of Fame how it came about um, you know Jeff hasn't done you know, he's done a few mainstream interviews about it but um, we haven't heard too much about uh, the ins and outs of how that came about so I'm sure that'll be something that's explored and listen one of the I, we, me and Paul were saying just in the week when we were talking one of the great um, areas that is really uncharted in wrestling, or at least um, not charted as much as you would think, is really TNA over the last dozen or so years. There's been plenty written about TNA from a um, a fan's perspective and, and for the opinions of people like uh, you know you Wade Kellers and Dave Meltzer's of the world, um, which is all fine, um, and people are worthy of uh, 
of having SA. Goodness knows I've had mine as well over the years, but I think there's a lot that we don't know about TNA. Why it was started in the first place, why Jeff thought he could compete with WWE, or was he even trying to compete? Maybe he was just trying to have another company. Um, you know, how did Dixie get involved? How, what, how did he feel when Hogan was involved? All the stories about Kurt Angle, all of these things that are, um, are out there are going to be fair game, folks, and uh, you're going to get a chance... See how I said folks there? To sound a bit more like Jeff in his original promos. Um, you're going to have the chance, folks, to, to come <laughs> along uh, and to ask Jeff all these questions. I mean, he's pretty much said to us, Paul, carte blanche, there's not... Uh, he's not the kind of person who hold, hold, hold back on things. So, obviously, if you get a... Uh, you're going to get his his side of things and I think that's uh, I think that's long overdue I'm, I'm really really excited to hear what Jeff's uh, got to tell us listen you don't have to just ask about TNA you can ask about um, him interfering in Undertaker versus Yokozuna in a casket match you can ask him about anything <laughs> you wish it's going to be a lot of fun I tell you I tell you what really intrigued me about it. I've we've known Jeff for a lot of years and it's only recently we've started talking about this and I came to realise that Jeff has been at the centre, especially during the Attitude Era, of an awful lot. He was there, you know, the night that, you know, we heard that he held a financial gun to Vince's head in order to drop the belt to China. Or did he? Um, or did well, he? We'll find exactly. out what he's got to say about that's that. What that's, what, that's what people say. Maybe his, his, his inverted commas firing on air during the last Nitro, his jumps back and forth. You know, he's you know not to mention his his start in the business as a second generation wrestler. There's a lot of stories that are very famous that Jeff's been at the epicenter of that the stories have never really been told by the man himself. Very very true. And I think and I think there's a lot. And Jeff, you know, the gloves are off. Jeff's going to tell all these stories. Um, and there's I think even us as you know because I've not asked him this stuff before. He's never felt professional, but now we can. Um, I want it's, to know how he I, felt. Sorry, Paul, but I, I want to know how he felt when someone, you know, such as Vince McMahon or someone in the uh, in WWF has to say to him, "We want you to have the gimmick of, of a woman beater." Imagine having that someone come to you and saying, "That's what we want you to do." Oh yeah. You know, how did he feel yeah. about that? How did he feel? How did he feel he portrayed it? Did it affect him? You know, in real life, um, those kind of questions. Um, what does he think of Vince Russo? You know, Vince Russo is someone that has always been allegedly. Um, a friend of Jeff, someone that he's worked with in WWF, WCW, TNA. Um, has Jeff got a different side of things on Russo that a lot of people um, often uh, often say? Um, he was friends with um, with the Road Dog, who's obviously been part of D- DX. Well, you know, how does how does Jeff feel about things like uh, the Click? Obviously, he's worked with Scott Hall and Nash and whatever. So, what's what are some of Jeff's insider looks on the Click? Because to the outside, you'd say that Jeff is one of those guys that might not have fit his face might not have fit you know among people like Shawn Michaels but you know he's often he's certainly worked with a lot of people that have been around that group um is it true about Steve Austin when Steve Austin said you know allegedly he said he didn't want to work with Jeff because he quote didn't hit the ropes hard enough what's that all about um there's so much to go through and like you said Paul you, when you really sit down and think about it you know listen I want to say I want to be outright and say this here not everyone is a Jeff Jarrett fan okay um Mm. either as a person or a wrestler fine whatever um i think surely you've got to respect his you know contrib- contributions to the business and whatever but if he wasn't someone that you enjoyed watching that's absolutely cool but you can't deny that his story is utterly fascinating and even if you're if you're a, a big fan or you're a critic you know i would come along to this because i just think it's i've heard again sorry to um 
drop their name in as we often do on this podcast but it's very pertinent given who we're talking about and the fact that we're mm. talking about live tours but on Bruce Pritchard's very successful podcast he often says or Conrad Thompson the host often says that fans don't necessarily understand when they're voting for a topic the difference between oh I quite like that guy I'll vote for him as opposed to that's quite an interesting topic I'll vote for that sometimes the more juicy stories and the more interesting stuff are not necessarily all about the uh the people that you want to hear about. So I would say that Jeff's story is entirely unrivaled. Um, has Jeff written, Jeff's not written a book, has he? Nope. No, he hasn't. Oh, that's a, there's, a, you know, there's a book that can be written. I should keep that quiet, actually. I might have a little quiet word in, uh, <laughs> in privacy if I can secure the deal myself. But, um, you know, I just think that uh, the story is... It's one of those that's full of, as Bruce and Conrad would say, it is full of rumour and innuendo. But how much of those kind of things are true? And I think because Jeff has been involved with TNA for so long, you know, as the founder, as the president, as, as whatever role, and now, you know, especially in his little, uh, you know, brief comeback in WWE waters when he was, um, you know, going into the Hall of Fame, he's kind of got to be careful what he says, isn't he? If you're a TNA executive and if you're a WWE Hall of Famer, you've got to be a little bit careful. When he sat on the stage with us in London, in Cardiff, in Edinburgh, in Sheffield, he can say what he wants, folks. So I'm very, very much looking forward to this. I think it's going to be something different. I think it's going to be uh, just a lot of fun. Here's the thing: as Paul says, Paul and I know Jeff. I don't know him terrifically well, but I know him fairly well. Paul knows him a lot better than me. Um, but we know him on a slightly different level, don't we? We don't know him as a, as a journalist yep. interviewer level. You know him on a bit more of a business level. Um, but we know him on on the level of you know sitting back and having a beer or having a chat, and um, so, so and sometimes the business isn't spoken about. We, we we know Jeff on a different level, and I can tell you he's a very very funny guy. So I, I am absolutely certain that these shows are not going to be you know steadfast two hour interrogations of the man. There's going to be some de- in depth questions. Sure, hey, a topic we've never even talked about: Owen Hart. Jeff was a really great fan of Owen, a friend of Owen's. I'm sure there'll be a, a sad yep. story or two about Owen, but I'm sure there'll be two or three wonderful stories about Owen because everyone has great Owen Hart stories about Owen's ribs and all this kind of thing. Um, so I'm sure that's going to be a, a fun aspect too. Um, we won't go on about it too much just now, but we will keep on talking about it as weeks go on without a shadow of a doubt. But we want to uh, encourage you to check it out. Um, but listen, by the time you uh, listen to this podcast, it's almost certain that you are listening to uh, the show on the day of or just a couple of days after uh, tickets have gone on sale so very quickly Paul how do people get tickets for the Ain't I Great Tour so the Ain't He Great Tour I do beg pardon right guys Give two ways the Ain't He Great Tour two two ways hang it um, the usual ways ringsideworld.co.uk and hookedonevents.co.uk um, we're in the four cities we're in uh, 23rd of July in London uh, the Sports Bar and Grill then we go up to Edinburgh on the 24th at the Hilton Hotel uh, the 25th takes us down to Sheffield at the Sheffield Library Theatre and then we culminate in Cardiff at the Beer Keller on the 26th um, so yeah you can get them all from those places and if you need any information as always facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling yes absolutely just very quickly the uh, the London venue is uh, Canary Wharf isn't it you said uh, oh sports, sorry sports bar yes, of course London is a hefty old place but it's there's five a, of them it's at, uh, it's at Canary Wharf and it's, uh, it's it's really easy to get to folks I know Canary Wharf sounds like an absolute pain but it's uh, it's actually really uh, really quite easy on the uh, on the old tube lines and stuff so uh, don't it's uh, a doddle don't worry it's about a that we've, we've, we've picked one that's uh, uh, deliberately quite uh, obtainable for you um, 
like I say, we will talk about that in uh, in weeks to come. Um, there was something else that was uh, pretty great last week, Paul. At least it was billed as being great. Uh, the greatest Royal Rumble was held by the WWE in Saudi Arabia. Um, before we get into some odd events that Hooked On did, what did you think of the greatest Royal Rumble? Well, I thought it was the greatest house show I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I thought it was one of the greatest uh, curiosities I've ever seen in wrestling. And it also bred possibly the greatest backstage story I've ever heard. Would you like me to share it? Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, obviously take this, as with all backstage stories that have come third, fourth, fifth hand, with a massive grain of salt. But one like this, I don't give a monkey's whether it's true or not, because it's brilliant. Essentially, the story goes that when Vince sat down with the Sheikh, um, the head of the Sports Commission or Sports Committee, or whatever it is out there, Sports Ministry, um, the Sports Minister gave him a list of wrestlers that he wanted to see on the card. Three wrestlers, in fact. Um, the first one was The Undertaker. Okay, not too big a problem. You just get the checkbook out. Fairly straightforward. Second one, The Ultimate Warrior. More difficult, for obvious reasons. The third one was Yokozuna. So, feeling some obligation to make the Sheik happy... That is why we saw that random no. sumo wrestler no one's ever heard of, because Vince wanted to throw him a bone and give him someone Yokozuna-like. He wanted to throw him an Aki Bono. That's what he wanted to throw him. <laughs> oh, you're on fire tonight, Rob. And that, like I said, I do not know and I do not care whether that story is true. I choose to believe it because I think it's brilliant. So, therefore, the question is there, therefore begged, who was the ultimate warrior on the night? Was it Hornswoggle? Uh, I'd say it's Titus O'Neil with his uh, <laughs> run get, down to the ring and then, and then big splash. We will get to that. <laughs> Diving into Hornswoggle's house, indeed. Maybe it was. I always wondered if there was a bit of a breaking and entering situation there, knowing that Hornswoggle was uh, was not in his house, and uh, there was Titus <laughs> diving headlong through the front door. Uh, we will get on to that because I think that's going to be a topic of. Uh, of something that comes up later on. Um, but before we get into uh, our main theme of tonight's podcast, you were with some of the. Uh, the hook to- now listen, I'm going to confront you about something here. On social media, I know it's not totally your say, but on social media I've seen our uh, our fans, our followers, our people, referred to as Howers. H-O-W-E-R-S, yeah. Howers. I'm not crazy about it. Um, no, I, I, am, I would agree with that. But I am going to say that the, um, the fans of Edge and Christian, uh, who are referred to as the Hosers, um, on the on the Asian Christian podcast, that name was suggested by listeners. They wanted to come up with their own following, and they put it out to their listeners. Now they may have one or two more than us, three or four maybe, splitting hairs. Yeah, but who knows? I am willing to listen to the people, to the hooked on universe. No, but to the I'm, I'm willing to listen to the uh, the uh, the people currently known as Howers, um, if they could come up with a uh, a better term for themselves. Um, you rather smartly picked me up on one earlier on that wouldn't really work, which was... Yeah, well, if they can't choose a good one, I'm going to start calling them hookers. Yeah, you, well, Paul wants to call you hookers, everyone. So, um, <laughs> uh, I, of course, think that's that's an appalling suggestion because I, I really, really, really hate rugby. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, um, apparently there's other connotations as well, something to do with fishing or something. You don't, you um, don't know about but, those, um, no. 
but we'd rather uh, we'd rather not call you uh, hookers, um, or indeed broadside flankers. But um, so you uh, you'll be um, I don't think that's a right, I don't think that's a correct term. Um, but yeah, if you can come up with your own name, that would uh, save us a job and save us paying people to do our social media and come up with ideas because you can just do it for us. Um, that's how WWE work it. In fact, it's how the BBC work it these days. So everyone's asking you to create the news yep. rather than doing it themselves. Um, so we may as well join in uh, as far as that goes. Um, but you were with the Howards. Maybe Howards. Uh, maybe everyone, everyone, no, all, all of our fans on. are called Howard. Um, so you, you were with the Howards. Mm. No, it doesn't work. It's quite hard to I say. I was with the... the... <laughs> the Howies. The Howies. I was, I was, I was the... with the hook, the hook, the hook tongue crew. Yeah. The hock. The ad hoc. The hock. No. Anyway, you were with the, odd, you were the, odd, the odd hoc. You were with your people, um, Grand Emperor, um, on uh, on Friday night. How did that go? Aside from what the show was like, how did you enjoy your evening? Oh, it was great fun. You know, it's such, such a different perspective to not have to be running around like a crazy man and and deal with all the dip bits that we normally do on these shows. Um, we just grabbed a pint, took the tickets, welcomed everyone in, um, and then just enjoyed the show. And it was great. You know, I got to go around to talk to so many people whose names I knew because you know I see them on ticket lists all the time. I see them on the sheep quiz. I see them on our social media. And finally got a chance to actually talk to them. And there were some great guys. You know, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to miss anyone out. Yeah. But yeah, no, there's loads. But needless to say, if I met you on the night and you're listening to this, there wasn't a single person that I thought was a, a fool. So I was anybody who's listening to this. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was absolutely brilliant. Awesome. What a brilliant, what a brilliant CEO statement. Paul Benson, the, uh, the well, head honcho of uh, Hooked on Wrestling, says, I didn't think any of you were a fool. <laughs> you, know what I mean. you know what I mean. I thought everyone was lovely. Everyone I was lovely. You, so. I, I do know what you mean, but it was just such a funny way of putting it. <laughs> to be fair, he said this. To I, I set him up with that a little bit there, folks. I'm going to lie. I'm sorry, I'm not going to lie because... Paul did say we were texting last weekend I said how did it go and Paul went the best thing was none of them were tossers that was basically what he said to me I'm going to say the word even if he didn't but yeah that was that was the off air not very clean version but that was but it's the true version so I think I'm going to uh, let the daylight in upon magic there and say that uh, Paul Paul thinks you're not tossers in all seriousness everyone I spoke to was absolutely fantastic Um, I think everyone had a great time the show was fun. The atmosphere was brilliant um, to the point where we're going to go back to that venue now. We, you know, everyone raves about it so much. It's not suitable for all our shows but because of its small capacity. But we're going to do it, Money Paul? in the Bank there. Where was it? It was at the, uh, the dugout at Belushi's in London Bridge. Cool. Same place we had our New Japan party. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've not yep. got long to you, but yeah, you just, you just briefly mentioned it there. The, um, we're going to have a little trial for uh, Money in the Bank. We are indeed. We're going to give that a go. June the 17th. Um, we never normally do the smaller pay-per-views. Um, let's give it a you know why not? Let's give it a whirl. If you guys want this, if you guys come out and support this, then we'll make it a regular thing. So you know tickets from the usual places. They're on sale now. We've sold a good number already. So get involved. Uh, as to answer the why are you only doing it in London question, how come you always do it in London? Uh, London has about four quazillion people um, within 20 miles of its centre um, everywhere else doesn't um, that's basically what it comes down to it's pure and simple um, we're going to do something in the biggest market first but we absolutely do take a um, take a note of where our uh, our cool markets are elsewhere um, and obviously sometimes things are happenstance in terms of where you take things 
Um, but uh, Cardiff in particular, and Edinburgh to a lesser extent, but uh, Cardiff in particular, you've earned yourself a Jeff Jarrett show because we love our Cardiff audience. And uh, I think did we, we may have missed Cardiff, I think, did we, for... Uh, for a WrestleMania or a Royal Rumble, but yeah, we, we did, we, we did. But that was we missed, uh, uh, we missed WrestleMania this time, and uh, we didn't want it to. wasn't through our own choice. No, um, it just, you know, circumstance. We didn't want to. And so this you, is you this, is, this is the makeup. It is very much. Yeah. So. we love we love Cardiff, and it's a it's a really great place. Anyway, um, all of that aside, we'll talk about Money in the Bank uh, a little bit closer to the time because it's not uh, exactly uh, due just yet. But uh, just bear in mind, London people, that we'll be uh, doing a, a small. Uh, gathering for we'll see how big it gets, but a smallish gathering for uh, for money in the bank, which is uh, June, Paul. June the seventeenth. Yeah. Oh, World Cup. What, what, have we had a little look at what that's up against? It's yeah. It's actually it's up against uh, Brazil against Switzerland. Well, okay. after Brazil against Switzerland, obviously, well, and it's the day before England's first game. Oh, before England's first game. Oh, that's yeah. ideal. What a good weekend. So I'm... you have a nice take Monday off, everyone. Take Monday off. Come down Sunday night, watch Brazil Switzerland. I'm sure there's bundles of games. That's probably four games that day. But pace yourself, watch Brazil Switzerland. There's two actually. There's only two. There's, there's only, only two. two. Okay. Pace yourself, watch yeah. that one. Uh, watch Money in the Bank with us, and then uh, chill out, watch England the following day. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's summertime. Oh mate, I'm so excited. Rest, wrestling. Are you, are you actually are you going to come up? Or are you going to come up? Or do I need to host this damn thing myself again? Oh, we'll see how we go. See how much you're uh, willing to uh, willing to pay. We, me and, we, can watch an England, <laughs> we can watch an England game together, mate, on the Monday. We've never watched an England game together. That's a great idea. In fact, why don't we watch it at London Bridge and invite anybody else along as well? Ooh, maybe we could. Maybe some uh, some hooked-on World Cup maybe, stuff is in the... Uh, maybe, is in maybe, the some, maybe, some of the hooks, maybe some of the hookers can come down. Yeah, maybe the, uh, the hooked-on World Cuppers, the Hawks. No, it doesn't work. The Hawks. I was trying to get to Hawk, and it, wasn't, it didn't come out right. So, uh, never mind. Still, uh, still a, uh, a work in progress. Um, okay, so the, to, the, uh, to the real uh, matter of tonight's podcast, um, we decided to do a bit of a, a one-off for something different. Um, we had the greatest Royal Rumble, as far as WWE marketing department was concerned last week. We have the Ain't He Great Tour coming to, uh, legitimately coming to the UK. It's nice to be able to say the UK and we actually genuinely are in three countries. Sorry, Northern Ireland, but... Um, we will get there at some point, but it's nice to be in Scotland, Wales, and England. Um, it was so close. We really, uh, sorry to, yeah. No, we really were. We were very close to going to Northern Ireland. We yeah. just could not quite get it over the line. If genuinely, this is not bullshit. If we'd have had one more day, we'd have been in Belfast. That was the, that was yep. our one other one. But we just we uh, we had to snip it thin. But uh, next time, um, anyway. But yeah, so we had the greatest Royal Rumble, and we had the Ain't He Great Tour. So we thought, let's talk about some great things. So what we did was went to our uh, Facebook page and where can people find our Facebook page Paul? Uh, Facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling Indeed um, and uh, out there we put the question basically give us some suggestions of what we can talk about as the greatest dot 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 now we, we said you can go as broad as you like or as narrow as you like um, and people have certainly done that. We have a, a variety of questions. Um, what we're going to do, we've picked out three or four that we quite like as topics that we might talk slightly more long form about, maybe sort of ten minutes or so per topic. And then after that, we'll kind of hit all the other ones. We might do a little bit more uh, quick fire, I think. So some of them are a bit of a, a one-line answer uh, and aren't as easy 
uh, to talk longer about. Um, for those of you that like our sheep quizzes, our eyes have already lit up because we just realised that this is some fodder <laughs> for the sheep quiz. Well, Paul yep. has, and Paul realises, oh, I can ask some of these questions. So pay your attention as uh, to some of these uh, some of these answers. They might give you a, a suggestion for sheep quiz in September 2019. Um, but... Uh, I'm going to do a very daring thing, uh, which is uh, let Paul rather take the lead of this podcast, because he is the social guy rather than me. He is the, um, what's the name of, I don't remember any of uh, the genericans that do all the um, the backstage stuff in in WWE. Paul is Jack Corpella. Is is he still there? I doubt doubt it. Can't can't I be Joey Styles instead? No, you cannot. Um, You can be um, Charlie Caruso. I'll take that. Okay. Okay, I'll take that. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when, you know when the, you know that really awkward bit where they go backstage to um uh to a, a little badly lit room with a little telly and there's a generic and pointing some tweets on the on the screen and there's someone like Becky Lynch going I don't really want to answer this but I'm not on the pay per view tonight so this is my way of justifying my airfare. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's what we're doing now. We are, that's the uh, the social uh, the social media room or whatever you want to call it. So that's why Paul leads and uh, indeed my uh, waffling there is a good indication of why he should lead. So off you go, Paul. What, what's our first question and who's it from? Right. Well, let's start at the top. Our first, let's go with one of the long-form ones, okay? Um, let's go with a question from Graham Lodge. Um, and he, Graham asks, what do we think is the, the individual with the greatest unfulfilled potential? I thought that was quite an interesting Ooh, question. That's a, that's a deep one off the top, isn't mm. it? Um, yeah, just, yeah, just, it say, is. just say it again, so just so we can get our heads around the question. Who is the great individual? Uh, and I tell you what, we'll do. We'll restrict this to in WWE. Okay. And um, make it a bit easier on ourselves. But who? What is? What is the greatest? The wrestler with the greatest unfulfilled potential? Oh wow, that's um, it's a tricky one. Obviously, obviously, it's difficult to mention anyone that's around now. Because there's always the chance, isn't there? Um, yeah, there is. And when I was when I was first thinking about this question, I, if you'd have asked me this a year ago, even, I think one of my first answers would have been Drew McIntyre. Mm, well, okay. Um, but he's well, I wouldn't say he's well on the path, but he's certainly got the opportunity um, to fulfil that potential now. So we will strike him off the list. Um, I'm going to go with an answer. I think the way I would summarise the uh, my analysis of the answer is to say. Sometimes someone just comes along, and this can be in sport as well, can't it? Sometimes you'll see someone that plays, you know, three or four games for, you know, for Arsenal, for Tottenham, for Liverpool, for Manchester United. You know, you know, when you first saw Wayne Rooney score that goal against Arsenal for Everton as a 16-year-old, or or whatever it might be, and you go, oh, hello, this is going to be a talent here. And it might be yep. sometimes like a, a Joe Cole that turns into a really good player, but not a top-notch one. Sometimes it can be someone that looks like they're going to change the world like Jack Rodwell you think is going to be a great player and then by the time oh, he's yeah, 25 yeah. he can't get in a rubbish Sunderland team sorry for those people that don't like us talking football and wrestling but sometimes it's just a good comparison um, even well, I'll take it into a different world sometimes there are actors that come along at a young age and star in a film and you go crikey he's absolutely fantastic and then you never see them again others you may see in a sitcom I remember seeing James McAvoy in Early Doors and thinking what a good actor this guy is and suddenly within two or three years blockbusters with Angelina Jolie all this all this kind of stuff so sometimes you can see that potential so I'm going to go with someone that I remember him coming along um, I didn't know who he was he'd come through I think it was Ohio Valley Wrestling I'm not absolutely certain about that may have been Florida Championship but had certainly come through a developmental stage um, came on to WWE was made a big thing of they gave him talking time 
and he just seemed to fit everything. He had a good look, he was different, he could wrestle. And his name was Mr. Kennedy. And I just okay. remember when, when Ken Kennedy first came along, I just thought he had everything. I thought the, the engine was behind him, you know, the machine was behind him. I thought he was, you know, just... He was a, a good, annoying, irritant heel, but he could have a side to him where he got serious and could work as a, as a hero as well. Um, I certainly thought he was credible enough in the ring that he, uh, he would be able to work main event matches. A great, great talker. I just thought he had absolutely everything going for him. And I still, to this day, don't really see what happened. Um, he went to TNA and he had a good run there, you know, sort of. But again, it just, whatever luster was on him seemed to fade away. Maybe he was a bit more of a one-trick wonder than we, uh, a one-trick pony, I should say, than we realised. But I definitely would have said that at one point, you know, Ken Kennedy was going to be a big star. And he's had a good career, and I'm sure he's earned some decent money. Um, but, you know, I just feel there could have been so much more there. It's a good shout. Um, and do you know what? It's one of the rare ones where, you know, you, there's a lot of guys. Like, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of one now. Um, like, all right, Sin Cara. The original Sin Cara, Sin Cara in, the, in the WWE that on the surface was a lot a huge amount of wasted potential given how good he was as Mystico in uh, in Mexico but there was a reason you know he couldn't go to a language barrier he couldn't quite work the American style he was rushed through instead of going to development for a spell he was rushed straight into the main roster so there's a reason why that potential didn't quite work out well one, Kennedy's... one, one very good judge of the of the game that I know you know called that before it happened you know it was being right. bit, it was being touted as a big deal I didn't really know his work as Mystico but I did know someone that said you know this is just not going to work it's just a totally different you know environment you know I, I think when you, you look at someone like um, you know Shinsuke Nakamura you know moving from New Japan to WWE I think if you watched him in New Japan you went this this can work this is a North American act you know this can work but I do look at others and I do look at someone like a, a, a Tanahashi who I, mm. I really really enjoy watching uh, or, an, or an Ishii there's a few there's lots of them actually if you think about the sort of the secondary I'm not, not that Tanahashi's really secondary but the you know the um, the sort of secondary Naito. level Naito another great one there's a few of them that I just think if they were in WWE for a year they just end up being just an, an, an almost anonymous mid-carder because what the um, what the Japanese fans love is not necessarily what the North American fans love, and the same goes with Mexico. You know, look—you've only got to look at someone like, like, like Conan. You know, who's had a good career in America and whatever, and you know, had some time in WCW. But people sort of don't realise that Conan, who was nearly Max Moon, and you know, and was you know the Latino guy in WCW and the, the Latino guy in TNA. Well, Conan's one of the biggest stars in Mexico's history, and it's like it's easy to forget that because he's just not revered in North America. And I think it's a. I think Mystico's one was a real. Was was that ever really going to work? Someone whose face you didn't see and someone he did, who didn't talk. Well, that's kind of my point. So you know, the, what I was trying to get is you can see with hindsight, especially, you can see why why it didn't go so well. But with Kennedy, I, I, to this day, I don't really understand it, because like you say, he did seem to have all the tools. He seemed to have the backing. And he just fizzled out. You know, obviously there's stories about Randy Orton not taking to him, but if he was going to be that big a star, that wouldn't have held any sway. Um, not really. 
and it just he just he just went down like a bit of a fart in church really I think so he had, I think he didn't probably didn't help himself with some of his comments um uh, he was quite outspoken in, in media interviews um uh, you know he failed wellness tests I believe I don't want to libel someone and get that wrong but I think he wow. did he did he um, did and but I, he was far from the only one. Oh no and I'm not saying he was the only one but I'm saying we're talking about him in particular as being you know someone if if, if someone's not sure about someone um, you can easily no, find something to pick against it's them. Not, it's not a good look, is it? You can overlook it. Look. If you want to overlook um, the wellness test about someone that you really rate, then that's fine. But if you want to kind of use it as a, as a stick to beat them with, um, then you can do that as well. Um, there may be some people that are, you know, have had a really, really good career um, but still f- fulfill this, this answer to this question. You know, that I, I'm thinking... Oh, sorry, actually, you haven't really answered me yet on one. So no, I'll, no. I'll let you have another go before I go back in again. Well, I've got a list, basically a short list. I'm not going to go through them all, but I'm going to go with two. I'm going to go with one that didn't fulfil his potential at all, really, that I thought was going to be massive, and one that didn't fulfil his WWE potential. So the first one I thought could have been an absolute megastar was um, Adam Bomb. Wow, okay. Bizarre. I didn't see that coming. No, I, you know, Adam, you take obviously you strip away that gimmick and. He was a big dude. He was very agile. He was very charismatic. He was good looking. Again, he seemed, you know, he was in the mold of a, you know, a psycho Sid, but way, way, way better in the ring and a, and a better talker as well, even though he didn't quite have that insane charisma that Sid had. But he just didn't really do anything. He, you know, Adam Bomb fizzled out. He went to WCW. Chronic was cool for a time in WCW. Bombed hard in WWE and then that was it and I really think given the right backing he could have been a serious player I think I just don't think he was ever really given the chance um, obviously I don't know the ins and outs of why he left WWF for WCW in sort of 96, 97 but if he'd have stuck around you got to wonder whether he'd have been you know he'd have been looked at as a main eventer I think he would have been um, so I, you know, that's a bit of a, a left field choice, but it's always stuck in my mind what what could have been with Adam Bomb. It's a, it's a this, real, it's a real shout. I mean, I've not really thought a great deal, but certainly his size. You know, you would think of that sort of era in the WC, in WWE when things were sort of switching over to um, to Brett and Sean and to short, short, smaller guys. Did it actually for the? Did he just have a really bad bit of timing? Might he have been a bigger star two or three years earlier? Easy, but you know, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head when you mentioned Shawn Michaels. I can, if you just stripped him of the silly Adam Bomb gimmick, oh my God, the match between him and between him and Shawn would have just been off the charts, amazing. You can imagine how well Shawn would have sold for him, and it would have been like a Diesel match or a Sid match, but with genuine athletic ability. It would have just been tremendous. I think he could have been absolutely tremendous. Um, and of course, but he, ended never up, was. he ended up going to. Um, was he? He was Roth, was Wrath. He was Roth, Wrath, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, he was in that Mortal Kombat stable, yeah. jobby. Um, but that fizzled that quickly, and he, he, like I say, he went into the Chronic tag team, which I really liked for sort of that turn of the century WCW. I thought they were very cool, like definitely an APA ripoff, but. I thought they were. I thought they were very interesting, very fun tag team, yeah. and then went to the WWE during the invasion, and that was it. Lasted well. One match. Battered by um, Undertaker and Kane, and that was it, wasn't it? Really, that was that a real, was it. Um, 
that was it really showing um, showing them up really my true pick in terms of WWE in my opinion this stands head and shoulders above everybody else the man who didn't fulfil his potential in WWE was Vader okay Vader absolute killing machine in Japan amazing matches as a as a super heavyweight heel up and down uh, up and down the uh, year sorry over the years in WCW he comes to WWE starts off how hot was that angle where he squashed Gorilla Monsoon and put him out of commission amazing start on his second day yeah and then he obviously had that was to disguise the fact that he needed to go off and get some uh, surgery so it put him out but then he came back with zero momentum and never recovered it um, got obviously he was rumoured not rumoured it's well documented that originally he was supposed to be the guy that took the title from Shawn Michaels in 96 but um, Shawn got the hump and management went cold and it ended up being Sid look the whole that pay-per-view where he was um, where he was uh, supposed to take on God, I can't remember now. Basically, it's called it, the pay view was called "It's Time," and he wasn't even on the card. It was supposed to be Vader's crowning moment, um, and it and it never happened. And he and he never obviously he from that point of late '96, it just slid very very quickly until he got released in was it '98? Was it? I think mid '90. Uh, would have been maybe '99, but it would have been around there, yeah. Around that time, isn't it? And um, did nothing. That he could have he could have been a huge. Imagine you know Vince McMahon books big guys he books big heels very well and for some reason he had one of the best ever on his books and it just failed miserably uh, was it the WCW thing you know was it was it that probably if you're showing Vader to be a big star then are you showing that someone in WCW was a big star and that's always been a an Achilles heel hasn't it so yeah especially around that time when the wars were heat, seriously starting to heat up you, you probably hit them, you've probably got it right there but it was um it was it was just such a shame. Someone that jumped to my mind, um, and a similar thing to your Vader. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anyone would say that Vader was a failure. You know, plenty of people would kill to have Vader's run uh, in WWE, and I'm sure he was financially compensated well. Yeah. But your your point is that he could have he could have been the man or one of the, the top two or three guys for a couple of years, and you know, really really right up there, aren't you? That's what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and he wasn't. Um. Uh, from a similar perspective in the sense that you know plenty of wrestlers in fact 95% of wrestlers on earth would be happy with the career that this gentleman I'm about to mention has had but it's been his own you know faults in his life really that have held him back at the wrong times um, there's a very fair shout that had he you know sorted himself out kept on the straight and narrow and stayed healthy that um, Jeff Hardy could have been one of the greatest of all time um, Jeff Hardy was someone that continually made mistake after mistake life choice after life choice that held him back and yet always bounced back and here we are in 2018 Jeff I think is 40 years old 41 years old Mm -hmm. and bloody hell he's a champion again okay it's a secondary championship but he's being involved in you know in in fairly big matches Um, you know he's still Jeff Hardy he still looks like Jeff Hardy he still moves like Jeff Hardy and considering all the, you know, he started at sort of 16, 17, maybe younger, um, all the ladders he's gone through, the tables he's gone through, the bumps he's taken, he ain't been injured very much, you know. No, he's had, he hasn't. He's had a pretty good career for, for someone that chucks himself around like he has, but it's been the choices that he's made 
of what to put in his body outside of the ring and that's really held him back and at such crucial times you know I think of that time where you know whatever people say about Triple H and about him holding people down and it might be true for certain people you know if you listen to Bruce's recent podcast about RVD that was a sort of a, a topic they kept coming back to and um, even you know, Chris Jericho has suggested there was times early on in his career where where Hunter wasn't his friend but Jeff Triple H put Jeff Hardy over like a million dollars on Oh now. yes. He made Jeff Hardy again. And uh, and you had a great Jeff Hardy run and you had some fun stuff with him and CM Punk. And then it all went wrong again and he just they, they eventually WWE decided they couldn't keep on, on suffering it and even when he went to TNA he could have been the man for so long and you know showed up in in what they refer to as a, a no condition to perform and you just think what a silly boy. You know what a silly boy if he could have just you know, had a had a drink in moderation and just you know kept all the other shit out of his body. He could have been one of the biggest stars on earth for lots and lots and lots of years. Hey, he's had a really good career and he continues to have a really good career. I don't know Jeff, but by a lot of people that I've, I've known that have met him and whatever, they say he's a decent human being. But I think just think he's made some very very silly life choices that could have stopped him from being one of the biggest stars in the world. I tell you one thing about Jeff, and I was commenting on this just last week. He's been in the WWE now for 20 years as a, as a, as a featured performer. Well, Long, not, not, longer. Not, not consistently, no. No, no. Um, sorry, no. On and off. On 20 and 20 years since his debut. But yeah. yeah. And um, he still feels fresh as the day he came along. Yeah. Um, and, he's still, and he's still just Jeff Hardy. It's incredible. He's not changed. Like you say, he's not changed his character or anything like that. And he comes out on SmackDown and he feels like a big deal. But not only that, he feels exciting. Mm. Like a guy like Randy Orton to, to choose a polar opposite still a big deal relatively speaking but in no way exhilarating in no way thinking oh I'd love to see Orton against this guy or this guy and I know Orton's been there for the full length of time for what's 15 years now non-stop so it's not a completely fair comparison but you look at Jeff Harden you go whoa you know all these guys I loved you know, Rusev and he's the one that comes to mind and all these guys I'd like to see him face, even the guys he's already faced, John Cena and people like that. You know, Roman Reigns against Jeff Hardy. How cool would that be? Mm. Um, I just, I just fair, fair play to the guy. You know, I just think he's. You know, you're right. He could have done more, but the fact that he's still so popular and so fresh is an absolute credit to the guy. Um, without going into mega detail, unless you want to, um, give us the rest of your list that you had. Just throw some names out. Rest of my list. Okay, so um, MVP. Yeah, okay. Was on there. Um, Shelton Benjamin. Mm hmm. Uh, Harry Smith. Was, was on there. Um, certainly touted at one point, yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, and then the other one I got on there was Raven. When you take his WC, uh, WWE stuff into account. Yeah, I'm not, I was never a big Raven guy. I, I, I loved Raven's. I like going back and looking at Raven's stuff in ECW, and I think it's really good. But I think it's niche. I don't think. I don't think the Raven gimmick was a, was ever a WWE gimmick. And I think you might be right on that one. And that, that's the, why the talent of Scott, yeah. the talent of Scott Levy might have needed a new character if they'd have tried to come up with a new Scott Levy character. That is to say, you know, you think about. Um, I know it was within the same company, but you know Justin Hawk Bradshaw was not the same as Bradshaw, the APA guy, who was not the same as JBL. No, you know, you, you know, there's, a, there's a there is acknowledged to be the same person, but 
it is still three different gimmicks. Um, you just mentioned, you know, Brian Clark there as, as Adam Bomb. You know, Brian Adams' this crush was Demolition Crush, and he was Kona Crush, and he was um, the sort of um, the, uh, the Nation of Domination Crush, and he was Disciples of Apocalypse Crush, and it was still the same fella, but he plays sort of four different characters, um, or four versions of the character. I've always thought that, that Scott Levy could have maybe tried to come up with something different. Um, I know the Raven name has some cachet, and they were taking that from ECW at the time, but I think he's talented enough and clever enough that he could have come up with a uh, something different. I never thought the Raven was a... I never looked at Raven and thought, that's a WWE champion gimmick. No, I would agree with you, actually. And that's why I, I probably wouldn't have mentioned it unless you'd have asked me the question. Uh, because I think I think you're probably right. Um, some people that I thought of instantly, not people that I thought necessarily were, uh, were going to be mega stars because of I liked them but because it was a WWE thing you just looked at and you thought that they uh, would make something of them um, Sean O'Hare you just looked yes. at Sean O'Hare and he looked like an absolute uh, killer menacing look you know agile for a big man similar sort of thing Matt Morgan um, I thought you know that both of those two um, would fit a WWE thing and do you remember um, okay you can argue that he was um, saddled with the the, the, the Spirit Squad stuff, but then so was Ziggler, and they found a way for him. But um, Kenny Dykstra, do you remember Kenny Dykstra? I do, I Ken do, Doan, yeah. Ken Doan, Kenny from the, uh, mm-hmm. the Spirit Squad, who was very, very young, and uh, they were touting as going to be something for the future. And indeed, um, uh, Rene Dupree, um, you know, very young talent you thought would have uh, developed into something else. Again, all of none of them are necessarily saying did I fall in love with as, as acts, and I thought they should have been pushed harder or anything like that. But all of them you looked at and thought, you know, WWE. You know, to the core, you know, could have you know done a really good job with them. In the same way that, hey, listen, what did we talk about when the Shield came up? You know, we we, we had our you know thoughts about Ambrose and Rollins, but it was clear from day one of the Shield that Reigns was the star. Yes. Uh, it just it just it was just it was clear whether it was that was how they were going to push it or whatever it was. But we all looked at it and went, he's the one. And and I'm not necessarily saying that you know. I looked at Sean, uh, Sean O'Hare in... What was the group called? Was it the Natural Born Thrillers? Was that Sean O'Hare? Uh, um, that's right, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying I necessarily looked at him and thought, you know, WWE champion one day, but certainly when they brought him in, I thought, they could really go go somewhere with him, at least short term. Um, they, they were the yeah. other ones that I thought of on the, sort of the other end of the scale, uh, really. I'm sure other ones will pop into my mind as the uh, the podcast wears on. If I, if I think of one, I'll shout it out, but... Uh, that's all I have for now. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much, Graham. That was a very interesting question. Should we do a few quick fire ones, shall we, Rob? Yeah, okay. Let's, let's do a couple of quick fire ones, and then we'll go back to a uh... couple of quick fire ones. Okay, so Rich, a couple, we've had a couple from Richard Howson. Um, we're not going to read out all your questions, Richard, but one of them was his the greatest unconcluded story. Uh, okay, I can do that one quite easily, and it's. Uh... It's through, not necessarily a fault of WWE's. Uh, I would say it's uh, Vince getting blown up in the limo. Yeah, well, that's the that's the first one that sprung to my mind as well. Because um, there aren't that many that get left hanging anyway, are there? I've always I've always explained that one away by saying I had a very fledgling blog at the time. Mm. Um, I was I was doing a blog on uh, Blogspot or WordPress or whatever it was. I get a couple of hundred people read it per week, but not you know necessarily anything major. Um, and I remember writing something about the Vince limo uh, angle the day after it happened and logging on one day and finding out I'd had something like 3,000 hits in the previous six hours 
and it was obvious that they weren't people that know, knew me, but they were Googling things about Vince, Limo, etc., finding my blog post and, and reading it. So I'm not taking any sort of credit for a wonderful piece of writing, but I know there was huge interest out there for that angle. And, of course, the following week was Benoit, and everything got dropped, and, um, and things changed, and I certainly don't apportion any blame for that. Um, but that, was a, that, I think, could have been a big angle. Um, that's the first one that jumps to my mind. How is the, how is the question worded again? It's, it's the... A, a great angle that was dropped or, or didn't conclude um, I haven't got the actual post in front of me but yeah just I've just written it down as grated un, greatest unconcluded story um, another one I would because obviously there's a few reasons for stories to be dropped obviously that one was dropped for fairly tragic reasons but um, there's others that are dropped just because guys leave the territory or whatever yeah. um, especially back in the day um, where you know guys might get injured or get done through wellness violations or whatever else one that I always thought felt very unconcluded to me was the um, the Steve Austin Bret Hart saga never you know I, I'm very strongly of the opinion that that was meant to conclude at Wrestlemania 14 it was meant to be Bret that put Austin over um, for his big crowning moment and it would have come completely full circle from the previous WrestleMania then. Right, okay. And it never happened. The Brett Austin, the Brett Austin angle never got a payoff. That's a, that's a very fair comment. Uh, I've never thought about that before. It never did. Um, it just morphed into, you know, because of Austin's neck break and Brett's leaving and everything else and the screw job, it just disappeared. It never got a conclusion. Good one. Um, I'll throw in. Uh, a couple, and they're certainly not quite so high profile. Um, I'll chuck in, I'll chuck in Christian and Trish Stratus because I just thought they would be a really that I liked that story. I liked that Jericho Christian Lita and Trish storyline with Trish turning on Jericho at Mania, and I just yeah. thought Trish and Christian would be a good couple. And it basically just went on for a couple of weeks, and then they went ah, forget it. And they never explained the breakup or anything. They just mm, it did kind of just peter out, didn't it? Separated them. Uh, and another one. Um, do you remember Triple H being about to wrestle Mr. Perfect when he was still Hunter Hearst Helmsley? And yes. Mr. Perfect then stepped aside. Mark Merrow yes. filled in, and Perfect helped Hunter to win the IC title. And off we were going to go with Hunter with Mr. Perfect as his manager. And I would have loved to have seen that dynamic of how Kurt Hennig would have managed um, Paul Levesque. Um, and I think what basically happened was was that Kurt got a bit of a taste for wrestling again, went to WCW because they were going to let him work rather than commentate. And uh, and just that was it. It was, it was it was explained on air as a kind of off-air that Hunter went, I don't need you anymore, perfect. And that was kind of how it, how it disappeared. But that was going to be... I mean, you could argue that the angle had ended. The angle was... Triple H goading perfect out of retirement, but actually it was all a setup to get the the IC title off of Mero. But um, I would have liked to have seen where Hunter and Perfect would have gone as a team, as a as a, as a manager and a, as a, and a wrestler. Really good shout there, mate. I like that one. Next question. Oh, okay. Uh, next question is from Francis Reyes, who asks, "Who is the greatest McMahon?" Greatest McMahon. Uh, probably, yeah. uh, probably not, Steve. Not much choice there. 
Steve. Steve McMahon. <laughs> because, I like uh, John, actually. Steve, Steve McMahon sure could rap, and it was about time he had an England cap. So come on, Bobby Robson, he's the man, because if anyone can, Macca can, <laughs> in the famous words of the Anfield rap. Um, it's all Steve McMahon, not to be confused with his son, uh, Steve, uh, who I think had a very short career with uh, with the Swindon Town. Uh, and also I'd like to say a big shout-out, of course, being serious uh, for a second, for uh, Tony, who is the uh, Bradford City right-back, who's a very good dead ball. Uh, deliverer of the ball. Sorry, what was the question? I think we're just about. We've co- kind of covered that, haven't we? Greatest yeah. McMahon, I think. I think we're. I think we're there. No, it, it, obviously the only answer is Vince. Ah, uh, yes, Vince. Yes. Yeah. No. No Maybe, question about it. Right. Yeah, Junior. Go on. No. Oh, but no. Okay. Um, next question is from Adam Trimble, who asks, "What's the greatest botch?" And I'm sure this is inspired by Titus's epic world slide on Friday. What's the greatest botch you remember, Rob? The greatest botch? Yep. You know my love for the word botch. And you don't like it, do you? No, I'd say the greatest botch was when um, Daddy Trimble's condom broke. <laughs> Rob? Yeah, okay, that's a bit harsh. You um, cannot say that. <laughs> that's a bit harsh. But um, no, I just don't like the word botch. I don't like the word botch. I would like to... If it's going to be used, right, okay... If it's going to be used, I don't mind it so much in the context of Titus O'Neil, because that's that is funny. I don't care who you are, that's funny. Like when people talk about a botch and they say something like Brock Lesnar at Mania missing the shooting star, mm. I'm not having that. Brock Lesnar has it is was and has been a tremendous professional wrestler, a huge star, and in the main event of a WrestleMania, slipped and could have died. And if people go, yep. <laughs> botch, I really hate that. And so that's why I'm not very kind to people that use the word botch, especially in the sort of botchamania sort of idea of it. However, I will lighten up a bit when it comes to because that was, listen, who didn't find that hilarious? I'm sure Titus now finds it hilarious. I suspect they'll end up working the bloody gimmick for him about it. But Well, they, they already have done, and he's got a T-shirt, so you'll find it very funny when the checks yeah. start coming through. Yeah, so that, that's fine. So I've... I've I don't mind that one so much, but that's—I mean, listen—that's harmless. A chap fell like we've all felt, we've all run somewhere and fallen over, and it's like so. I think that's that's okay. That's acceptable as calling something a botch. So, if we if, if we're talking botch on that scale, listen, I'm far from the first person to mention it this week. I mean, Shockmaster—it's one that comes to mind, isn't it? Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. And if again, if you if you're talking botch as in uh, a mistake that someone makes, and I'm going to say it's not a as an athletic move. Who were the guys? I want to say it was Jericho and someone. Who were the guys that ran past the camera, chasing one another backstage, and then didn't realise the camera was still running? Oh, and they was just it Mike casually Orson? walked. Yeah, I think it was in WCW. It was. It was definitely WCW. I'm sure yeah. Mike Orson was involved. They sort of ran past each other, ah, and then didn't realise they were still rolling, and then sort of like casually walked back again. Um, that was quite funny. That's to me. To me, that's the lighter botch. You can, I, you can, if you want to call that a botch, that's someone making a mistake. That's a production snafu. That's a bad bit of writing or whatever. That's fine. But when people are risking their lives and limbs in the ring and, and falling over and hurting themselves, you know, don't call those botches. That's all I'm saying. I apologise to Adam, who I said quite a nasty thing about, and who I've never met. Or if I have met, I do apologise. Um, I, I just, yeah, I happened. He happened to be on the receiving end. I think someone else put a botch question as well. So. 
um, if they'd have been the person that uh, you'd have mentioned that they'd have got that same rather tasteless joke as well. So I apologise for my uh, tastelessness, but I was just trying to make it. So, so you should. I think one of my favourite botches was... Um, was which one who bloody uh, do you know what it's absolutely gone now on my man oh yes that was it when Dean Malenko using the WCW thing and they were having that match and forgive me I've just thought this now they were having a match towards the end of WCW where it was such and such a rules and basically one of the rules was rolling out of the ring causes a DQ so obviously what does Dean Malenko do halfway through the match rolls out of the ring match ends disqualification live on pay-per-view that's so uh, you could you could have its own podcast on the last three years of WCW and all the botches we saw there yeah didn't um didn't Sid do a promo where he said something along the lines of um <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I've got, got half the brains that I've you have half the brains yeah half the brains that you have or something like that yeah. that's quite yeah. a good one yeah I, I, and then I, yeah and then the look in his eyes when the realization strikes what he's actually said is just absolutely genius. Yeah, those um, those things are funny. Those things are funny. Um, if we talk about those being botches, that's okay. That never getting your line wrong or something like that never killed anyone. So no, I'll be, I'm happier on that sort of side of things. Fair enough. Um, what have we got next? Um, bu- 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 okay, Lewis Delderfield asks what the best fall is. I assume he means the 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 best does he mean, does he drop mean that on a, a great height or whatever. Oh right, I thought I, I thought that was another Titus. I don't think so, mate. Like I don't think or so. He, or does he does he mean the best autumn? He could WWE do. Have had before. I don't know. Yeah, two two thousand takes some beating uh, up. The greatest fall. Um, uh, age age of the fall were pretty good for a time. <laughs> in, uh, in Ring of Honor um, All the Way Slam is one of my favourite transition moves good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rest, rest in peace Marky e. Smith of course who uh, left us <laughs> earlier this year from the fall um, I know if, he, if he's talking about jumps off of a great height again I'm on slightly um, slightly queasy ground because I, I'm not really very keen on things like Mick Foley coming off the cell and no, not being like quite that. so um, trumpeted um, but but uh, I do think that I, I rather liked Mick's, Mick's elbow at SummerSlam 96 um, in the match with Triple H when he sort of does oh, the, yes, the, yep. the homage to um, to Jimmy Snooker because I like stories you know, that was they didn't make that obvious they didn't go oh and Mick is doing what he saw Superfly do they didn't do that they sort of left it quite subtle so when Mick sort of pulled his shirt open and threw up the I love you sign and then dropped the elbow, obviously, obviously he didn't do the Superfly splash, but um, I quite liked that because that was, that was what that whole story was about, was about the young Mick Foley hitchhiking to watch Jimmy Snooker in Madison Square Garden and it's the genesis of dude love and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I quite liked that because that was quite a safe fall. You, mm-hmm. You're going to struggle to get one off of me that's, you know, like, you're gonna you're gonna mention something like Shane, when Shane did one of his death-defying jumps off of something, and again my my stomach doesn't take those very well. It sort of thinks of what can go wrong rather than well, know, how how cool it can look. There's a, there's a lot of those. There's Shane and Steve Blackman. There's numerous Jeff Hardy jumps like when he went and did the um, did the uh, did the, what bloody hell was Jeff Hardy's 
move called now? Swanton, I can't remember. Swanton. Swanton bomb. God, why did that jump up my head? Against Randy Orton when he did it off the uh, rigging next to the Titan Tron. I'm going to pick one that's slightly under heralded just because I was I remember being absolutely gobsmacked by it at the time. Um, and funnily enough, it also involves a steel cage. Um, and it was about, I think it was 2000. Full, maybe it was fully loaded 2000, but I'm, I'm prepared to be wrong on that. And it was in a cage match between Rikishi and Val Venus. Wow, and Rikishi, Rikishi went to the top of the cage and splashed Val Venus from the top of the cage and missed. And it looked so spectacular. It looked like such a great fall. Um, and it stuck with me forever. And I just thought it was such a moment in time, especially in the time when mid Venus, there was a path to the main event and there was a way to get there isn't anymore not really and but there was then and Val Venus and Rikishi were two guys in that year that were very much on the cusp of making it and those guys went out and worked their bollocks off and culminated in that spot with Rikishi taking that dive off the cage and if you haven't seen it or you can't remember it I urge you guys to go and watch it I'm pretty sure it was fully loaded definitely the year 2000 Rikishi against Val Venus go check it out it is an absolutely monstrous dive um fair play to rikishi he um he really went all out back then he he really was working his ass off to try and get to that next level and that was a lot of ass to work off oh there really was and if uh, if val was working his bollocks off by the way no wonder he changed his career but um <laughs> would have rather held him back wouldn't it Talk about those money shots um I- i've thought of a couple while you were while you were speaking there um one I'm going to be a bit too vague about, really, for uh, for me, but there was a time where there was a massive brawl um, at ringside, and, and one of those ones where, do you know when the, the locker room clears out to hold people apart? Yes. Not to have a fight amongst each other, but they're trying to say, this is such an intense fight that the locker room has to hold them apart. Well, we're talking sort of, a, again, I think, it, I think it was an Undertaker mankind thing. It might have been even. I think it, it might have been an Undertaker Kane, but I think it was Undertaker Mankind. Where the entire locker room had come out and was separating everyone, and it's one of the first times you saw Taker do the big dive. Ah, uh, yes, it was actually. Ran, it was. He, um... he, he ran. Now I know he's done that lots and lots and lots of times in his career, but you wouldn't have seen him do it very much at that point. And again, going back to my um, buzzword of safety, um, you know, he did that onto a huge crowd of people, so it was entirely safe. Um, not pretty, not entirely safe because nothing can be entirely safe in wrestling. But pretty safe, you know. He was, he was well protected, and everyone knew what they were doing. They did one of those, you know, all fall down, you know, bowling pin bumps. Mm. Um, but it was so spectacular at the time, the first time he did it. Can you remember? Who, I think it was Man. Yeah, was I can it? remember. No, it wasn't. It was it was it was in your house, Ground Zero in '97. It was against Shawn Michaels. It was it was Michaels with it. Okay. Yep, I remember it well. Um, and it was a great dive. You're right. Mm. Well, that was a. Uh, yeah, so was that was that after the was that, that after was the, the sell? That was the pay per view before the sell. Because that, that match ended in a no contest. Cool, All those it. guys coming out and that big brawl was what led to the sell. Of course it was, because it was all off the back of SummerSlam, wasn't it? And that's right. Sh- Sean hit and take it with the chair and then turning into the DX thing. So yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, so, well, we, we learn as we go on this show. Um, I'm, I'm glad it's Sean actually, because the only other one that um, I want to mention is. Uh, SummerSlam 2002 Sean and Triple H Sean's return That's the one. match 
Um, Sean, I was of the belief. I remember watching that match, thinking this was Sean was one and done. You know, he was mm-hmm. coming back for one more match, and that was him. And for years and years, I thought I'd been wrong by that. And actually, in subsequent years, I found out that was actually the plan. It was he was coming back for one, and then they talked him into a second at the Elimination Chamber. And then, as we all know, thank goodness he came back and gave us several more brilliant years. Um, yes, right. But the dive that Sean did from the top of the um, turnbuckle through a table to Triple H on the outside. Again, it's all context. We can all jump through things. You know, New Jack and Mustafa can jump off of bloody balconies until, you know, the cows come home. But how much does it really mean? When this guy who had been out for four years with a broken back climbed up to the turnbuckle and shrugged his shoulders and looked down at Triple H and basically went, sod it, I'm only going to do this one more time. And off he leapt and he hit that splash. I just thought, what a moment. You know, you were so with Sean. That story was told, told so well. You were totally with Sean at that moment. And think, and that was almost a kind of, you know, Randy the Ram takes to the top rope at the end of the um, the wrestler, you know. You know, when he knows that, he, you know, coming and doing that move again could kill him. And up goes Sean thinking, well, okay, I can do my back in again here. But I hate this guy I'm leaping onto so much. I'm going to do it. And of course, in real life, it's his best friend, and that was probably the only person he would have leapt on because he trusted you know, Triple H so much with his body in that match. Um, great match, one of the uh, one of the greatest of all time. And um, when things mean more, you know, when dives mean more and contribute to stuff, then that's when I'll, uh, I'll I'll hold them in really high regard. Yep, fair play to you there, mate. Well, I agree. Falls, if, if we're going to do falls, and again, I'm not big on the. Um, uh, I'm not big on the, the TLC stuff in hindsight, but I'll certainly accept that when it was happening, it was all very exciting. The uh, edge spear to Jeff Hardy. Wonderful when, moment. When, when Bubba has pulled Jeff back into the corner from the ladder, let him go so there's the momentum and the spear and the landing. Dangerous, yes. Would I, would I like to see it today so much? I'm not sure. But beautifully, perfectly executed by two absolute pros or three actually because Bubba was part of the, part of setting that spot up so I will flag that up as, as being risky but tr- wonderful but very good yeah yeah next I'm enjoying okay, this okay mate let's move on to, let, okay I, I'm, I'm done we're doing well with this let's move on to this one this is an interesting one from Ben Gilly greatest gimmick portrayed by the wrong person wow what a good mm. really got me thinking this one well, that's a sit down that could be uh, be a long time going through that um, uh, this is a cheat because it had already been portrayed by the right person but but baby face doink ah yes I'm not saying Ray Apollo wasn't good at being the baby face doink oh but man I wish he'll doink in, in hindsight I wish he'll doink had been around for longer I, that's such a great lost gimmick. It was incredible, wasn't it? And, and Matt Bourne was the guy. You know, Matt Bourne was Doink, and the fact that someone else had to replace him, and then they went babyface with it. You know, Ray Apollo. Ray Apollo might have been a terrible heel Doink, which is why they went babyface. I don't know. Ray Apollo's not come up on my radar enough to um, to tell me what else he could have been. But um, that's one that strikes me as being a real. Um, you know, a winner. I, I miss. I miss. Have you got anything? Um. 
I'm not. Do you know what? I'm I'm striking out very slightly on this one. If I'm perfectly honest, the one that's the one that comes to my mind um, is Mordecai. Okay. Um, and I'm more in the sense that it would have been really interesting to have an anti-Undertaker, because obviously we'd had Kane, who was his brother and his opposite in a lot of ways on the dark side. But it'd been quite interesting to have a, a an anti-Undertaker in on the light side. And who was, you know, like a reflection or a mirror image of the Undertaker? I think it was a really strong idea, um, but it never worked because it was terribly executed and like such a ridiculous guy within within the gimmick. You know, Kevin thought I don't know what the guy's real name was. He Kevin went on to Kevin Furtick. Thank you very much. Was couldn't possibly hope to compete with the Undertaker. He couldn't be looked at upon his equal, and he was dead on arrival. He was, he was done. Um, so I suppose that that's the one that pops into my head above all others. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a good shout. It's a good shout. I think um, there was a few around that sort of time, weren't there? That um, uh, that they sort of swung and missed with. It was a, it was a real sort of barren couple of years around that Mordecai. Um, Kenzo it, Suzuki sort of uh, really was a poor sort of, sort of 2000, 2005 time was really really desperate I, I, I have an unanswered one um, where what? perhaps they, they never could have got anyone that was the point um, but they tried twice, three times if you include a manager um, to resurrect LOD um, they added Darren Drozdov as Puke or as Droz. Mm-hmm. Then they added Sonny as a manager for LOD 2000. Yeah. And then, and then of course, years later, after Hawks passing, um, they teamed up Hannibal with Heidenreich. Um, yeah. For some sort of new LOD. The answer might be you could never have done a new LOD. You could never have found another Hawk, and that's possibly right. But I do feel that the two people they chose were. Horrifically miscast. Oh uh, God, I th- yeah. I thought that you know we, w- we will never know about Draws and his potential because of uh, you know his very sad injury that he suffered quite early in his career. But I think he had something Draws. But I don't think being a, an auxiliary le- legion of Duma was was it. Um, and you know the whole hide and right thing was very odd. Um, you know how they went from whatever the character he was meant to be as a heel to asking people to be his friend as a baby face and then mm-hmm, yeah. weirdly being an LOD team oh that was a strange strange old thing but you know even when Animal came back for that little brief time listen no disrespect to, to, to the late Mike Hegstrand who, who's not around to defend himself but I always massively preferred Animal I, you know, he was someone that you know I liked the LOD team but I was always an Animal I thought Animal had the potential to be a, a singles guy fair enough okay a lot, people, a lot of people would say opposite would say Hawk was the better but I always preferred Animal I loved his comebacks his his strong clotheslines his power slam his drop kicks I liked Animal and I, I always thought that there probably would have been another probably not has let's pretend they're still the LOD but I think you could have done Animal and someone and made a good team somewhere along the line. But I'm afraid I can only give you half an answer because I can't think who that person could have been. But um, I feel that that was certainly a couple of instances of people being miscast anyway. Fair enough. Okay. Well, Fair that's true. Sh- um, to be honest, no. Um, nothing else, unfortunately, springs to mind. Should we move on? Mm-hmm. That's one of those where it seems like a really good question. But... Um, 
unfortunately I'm a little bit stumped with it um, Francis, another question from Francis Ray asked uh, I'm not normally going with two there's a couple of people who got two in this but not many but Francis deserves it he came all the way down from Manchester to our party on Friday night so I'm going to give him two questions best t-shirt Uh, F fear drink beer. You like that one, did you? <laughs> Just, <laughs> I like. I kind of like the attitude. Um, I've never, ever, ever been a wrestling t-shirt guy. Um, I've got a few, but I don't think I've ever paid for one. I think they've always been given to me on freebies or, or something. I've right. never been a fan of them. Um, I'm gonna go a weird direction with this, and I'm gonna give you. I know what you said about this being a sort of WWE-centric um, um, topic, but I'm going to go for not one particular um, T-shirt, but I'm going to say the era around 2007 to 2009-10 um, in TNA, when they knocked out shirt after shirt after shirt that was just really, really good-looking. Well, they were all those sort of tribal ones, weren't they? And they, But they just looked like shirts that you could wear. And they might have been a James Storm shirt or an AJ Styles shirt or a Fortune shirt or a Hulk Hogan shirt or whatever, but they looked like shirts that you would just wear. And not ones that had a great big picture of, you know, Randy Savage on or something. Um, that's not a dig at the, the kind of cool Macho Man facsimile one, which has become a cool shirt in, um, in, in hindsight. But I'm talking about those horrible airbrushed ones that WWE used to do. Um, leading into other ones that, you know, I just wouldn't have had a... I just wouldn't have fancied walking down the street with a catchphrase from, I don't know, the, the, the BWO or something on. It just would never have really been me. Um, the correct answer to the question is the greatest t-shirt of all time is Austin 316, because that's the one that sold the most. Well, no, that's not that's not true at all. The best, the, the one, the movie that sold the most tickets is Avatar. Yeah. Um, and that's not even in the top million movies if there was only a million ever made. Um, so that's not, that's not true. Um, there's loads, mate. There's loads. We could, Austin 316 is probably the most iconic, I'll grant you. And you could put NWO in there with it as well. But, you know, look, at, and in terms of iconic shirts, Hot Rod, that's yeah. always going to be up there. Um, when Hogan came back in 2002-ish, I loved how you had the Hulk Still Rules t-shirts. I thought they were awesome. Hulk, Hulk Rules with the still stamped over the top. I thought they were fantastic. Um... Cactus Jacks wanted dead or alive. Very, oh, I, very. I, can, can I slightly amend the question? Well, I don't know if you'd like to. I'm going to say I don't want to say t-shirts, but I'm going to say the Heart Foundation's jackets. <laughs> well, not for general sale, so very cool, but not what we're talking about. To me, though, there's one um, one t-shirt that stands head and shoulders above the rest um, in terms of how it captured the zeitgeist. Um, how it looked cool, how it really fit that moment in time, and it was the shirt worn and debuted. And this time you could only buy it in the arena that very first night it came out, and then it sold out on WWE.com for months and months and months afterwards. Going back to 2011, Money in the Bank, when CM Punk came out in that white T-shirt with the um, reappropriated Chicago flag on it and best in the world on the back. Mm. Um, and, and instantly sometimes shirts are instantly iconic and when he came out in that shirt with the Chicago crowd screaming as loud a reaction as you'd heard since the heyday of Austin 
with the energy in the arena, with the moment in time and the great match that followed, to me, that shirt became instantly iconic. Oh, the music as well from Cult, uh, Cult of Personality. It, it, it just became a wrestling legend as soon as he uh, stepped through the curtain. Not him, the shirt. No, I don't think that was Cult of Personality, was it? No, um, no, you're right. Sorry, it wasn't. It wasn't. No, you're right. I think it was still his. Um, the fire burns, what it was called. I think the cult of personality debuted when he came back about four. Yeah, weeks later. no, I stand corrected. You're right on that one. You're right. Um, but yeah, that to me was such a moment and a great shirt. Never owned it. Wish I had. Um, that would be my pick for best wrestling shirt ever. If I can give a little nod to marketing because I think it's very clever when you can make a shirt. I thought it was what you were going to say, actually, when you said about it selling out in the city. Um, sometimes if you can market a shirt in a certain way, and I've always thought it was very clever when you see Brock Lesnar coming out in a suplex city shirt that is tailored to the shirt that he's in. City that he's in. So it's to the city that he's in. So if he's in, you know, Fayetteville or, mm. you know, Knoxville or wherever he happens to be and it's got a bit, it's suplex city and it's got a... Um, a reference to that town I think that's a very cool shirt because if you're proud of where you're from you know, imagine having a Suplex City Grimsby shirt mate <laughs> well it's a clever sales tool but yeah. certainly nothing more okay next question next question okay let me look on my list right I've just got Richard here I haven't written uh, Richard. I think it's Richard House again best pay-per-view song it's pay-per-view song. Mm. Wow. I don't think I could name too many other than the uh, the mania ones, to tell you the truth. Um, uh, you could you could argue no chance in hell. That was a uh, that was a pay-per-view song. Was it really? It was. There was a. It was like oh crikey, what was the name of the what pay-per-view would that have been? It would have been about night. Been some point in '98. I don't think it was called something as straightforward as In Your House, No Chance in Hell. But it was something like Unforgiven, No Chance in Hell, or Backlash, No Chance in Hell. It may even have been... Oh, maybe it was The Rumble. Maybe it was The Rumble. Okay. No Chance in Hell. I am certain that that No Chance... You know, the, the what we know as the Vince theme. Um, No Chance in Hell, you've got... I'm sure that was a pay-per-view theme. And then it got appropriated for for Vince. Okay, so I didn't I'd, I'd I didn't know that, that. I'd argue that that would be a really good example because you, everyone knows that theme. You just might you might not know the origin of it, but uh, everyone knows the theme and it's become very iconic. Um, of WrestleMania ones, um, there's a lot of Mania themes I've really really liked over the years. Um, uh, I really liked. Um, Oh, crikey, it's not going to come to me now. I, I know it sounds... People are going to find it really lame because there's been lots of, you know, rocky songs that people have liked. But I really liked um, Big Time by Peter Gabriel. I thought that was... A, that oh, was, yeah, yeah. That was WrestleMania 22, was it? 23? Yeah. That 22. That illustrated the WrestleMania. Um, going more recently, I liked the... Um, I liked the... Uh, the P. Diddy... The Diddy Dirty Money, that one. I'm coming home. <laughs> right, okay. I'm coming home. Tell the world I'm Yes, I, another I one you really mean, yeah. like that. Um, I, I, I think they do a really good job of mania. Um, they do, mania they do. Songs. They're really good ones. Um, but um, I'm not... 
I've always admitted, sorry everyone, because I've not done a you know, spit in the, um, the general direction of the, uh, the, the, the questions that are coming in, but I've never been very um, big on the little details of things, like um, outfits and belts and ring designs and pay-per-view music and you know those kind of things have never really been big to me. I know they, I know they are to other people, so I'm not knocking people that it's big too. I'm not I'm not decrying your your rights to um to enjoy those kind of little things, but it's absolutely part of the uh, part of the world. Um, but the universe that we live in, but it's never really been me. So I'm not quite as uh, sold on them, and I've also got, got the memory. But um, there's there's been a few um there's been a few good mainly ones. I'll say that. There's three that I'm I'm on a spotlight. None of them are mania ones actually, okay. as it happens. Um, one is just because I really liked the song at the time, and I thought it was really cool. They use it for a pay per view. No way out. 2003 used "Bring Me to Life" by Evanescence. And I like, yeah, and I like that pay per view, and I loved that song when it came out. And uh, I, I know the song; that was a huge song for a time. Massive. I'm, I'm not a bit. I was at university then, so I remember that in particular. But um, I'm not a fan of that song. It's not my kind of song. Mm. But it was, but it was a huge song. I don't remember that being used as a wrestling thing. Wow. Well, I, I only watched it um, about six weeks ago, and it came on. I was like, wow, that's really cool. I'd forgotten about it. It was the same sort of time that Victoria had all the things she said by Tattoo as her entry. Tattoo, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that was amazing, because I remember that was a big song before she used it. Um, and I I remember her coming out to it and thinking, oh, how cool is this? Yeah. Um, and then it went. Oh, she went on to something generic after that. So that's one. Um, another one. Um, SummerSlam 2001. Um, Bodies by Drowning Pool. Oh, that was just so, over, so overused. I, so iconic of its time, though. To me, used that, that over and over and it's, over again. It's not my favourite type of music, um, but it it was so. You know, I was I was at uni at that time. It was my first or second year at uni, and it was just that was the music that was played, and that was such a song of the, of its time. And I just thought, yep, that always reminds me of that pay per view. It's so so of its time, and I don't know that it just it's a marker for that post attitude to the invasion era. To me, it's the it's the soundtracks of the invasion era era, frankly. But there's one pay per view theme that stands head and shoulders above everything else WWE have used before or since 1998 SummerSlam ACDC Highway Highway to Hell hell. there is no (laughs) contender do you know what I'm just the more I'm thinking about us having this conversation when when did it start it was when did did they start doing that kind of thing Probably around the the late nineties. Not so much. Not really before. I wonder how was was Highway to Hell like the first? I can't think of one before that. Any pay per view that I've got in my brain before that, all I can hear is you know your standard those sorts of generic WWE bits of music or the WrestleMania theme or. Um, there were certain ones out there for the Rumble or for WrestleMania or just general WWE. Mm. But I can't think of. Um, well, I'm I can't just... think of. Well, I can't. Like, I can't. I don't go to WrestleMania's, you know, nine, ten, eleven, or anything like that, and, and have in my brain a theme song to the WrestleMania. Well, I'm just looking now. Actually, as you mentioned, I've just gone on the Wikipedia page for WrestleMania 14, and there's no mention of any theme song, and there usually is on the Wikipedia page. 
and there's no mention like if you go to WrestleMania 25 for instance um, oh, it's, oh it's there 25 so, was shoot to thrill that's right um, it's there if you go to WrestleMania 14 no mention so you're probably you're probably onto something there oh, WrestleMania okay, WrestleMania 15 no mention of one there either then you get to WrestleMania 2000 yeah there's one there California by Jim Johnson um, and, and then 2000 WrestleMania 17, My Way by Limp Biscuit. Yeah, I thought I thought you were going to say when you were when you were building up to your obvious one. I thought that was what you were going to say. Really? Oh no, way. no. Hi, I did say there was no WrestleManias on my list. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't think. You know, unless they get the rights to one of my favourite ever songs, I can't see how they can ever beat Highway to Hell. Yeah, it's, that's a good one. Um, I'll mention. It's not a pay-per-view song. But in terms of it being an iconic song for when they did it, I'll mention when when they used "My Sacrifice" by Creed. Let's come to that, shall we? Oh, is that, is that, is that a different question? Let's, let's talk about that further down. I'll, I'll, I'll put that to one side. Um, let's. But just um, yeah, just quickly, you know, on other on other matters, um, it's interesting that they, you know, obviously found this, you know, they found this area and stuck with it for so many years because it's a. You know, it's become something we're just kind of natural to now, aren't we? We're just used to them saying, you know, this is the this is the theme to this pay per view, and this is where you can get it. And it's it's often been, you know, the different sort of things that they've had a link with, like like Kid Rock, or they've had a link with, you know, um, I can't think of who else they've had now, but they've had other bands, haven't they? That they've just yes. gone back to time and time again. Saliva, Drowning Pool. Yeah, there's um, been loads of them, but it's um, you know, fair when you think we take it totally for granted now that that's something that they do um, yep but uh, I'm sure so whenever your highway to hell was what did you say it was 98 right I reckon I reckon that no chance in hell was Royal Rumble 99 well should we should we have a look shall we stick with that as being my uh should we have a quick look before we move on to my next the if next want, question if it, if, it, uh, if it suits you mate if it, uh, if it's great let's have a quick look Royal Rumble 99 theme song was No Chance in Hell yeah, by Jim go. Johnston well done mate there you go I was just it was just I was I knew, I, I knew it was a pay-per-view I was just trying to work out exactly when it was I'm fairly certain that the um, you know sometimes they would underline the, uh, the the pay-per-view with like a subhead so you know like it was um, I think SummerSlam 97 was called Heart and Soul Yes. Because of Undertaker and Brett. Yeah. I think it was like SummerSlam 97, Heart and Soul. And so it was Raw Rumble 99, No Chance in Hell. Yeah. I think it was when they were doing those little um, those little subtitles on things, which I actually think they could probably do more often. I think that would be, uh, be quite a good little uh, good little thing to do more. Fair enough. Um, next one is from Dean Dean Issue. Um, Dean asks, what the greatest noise in a wrestling match ever was? The greatest noise. The greatest noise in a wrestling match. Um, <laughs> I've always been partial to Tony Chimmel saying rated R superstar. That's quite a good one. I quite liked it. There was a match in 1990 where Earthquake took on um, Tito Santana, and I swear that when he did the splash, Earthquake let out. And I think that's my favourite ever noise in a wrestling match. I think um, I'm sure that uh, I once heard uh, Dink. Uh, the clown during a doink match shout um, wonky donkey <laughs> that's not a noise though that's a word oh, sort of a noise <laughs> so thanks Dean uh, yeah. definitely my favourite noise is that I like the noise of the, I like the noise of the cowbell when Ric Flair comes out at number three in the Royal Rumble ding 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 
<laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so I think we've. I think is we've, that what he meant? Do you think? I think I don't. I don't think it was, but that's no. what he wrote. So that's what okay. we're going with. Okay, next one is actually a, a write-in um, from a mate of mine I was talking to earlier, my mate Dan. A writing Answers on a postcard. Answers oh. on a postcard, yeah. Um, greatest comedy wrestler of all time. Oh, I wow. Like this now, one. I like this question. Now, I, oh, I hate it. <laughs> I'm going to do what, what, my, what my boss at work would refer to as going all Rob McNichol about it. <laughs> right. Um, which is sort of inventing my own little stipulations rather than just answering the freaking question. But it's like, do they mean <laughs> someone, that, a wrestler that was good at comedy, or do they mean someone that was only a comedy act? Well, I think I think it probably means someone who was primarily a, a funny act, right. designed to entertain rather than, okay. you know, anything else. I would argue that one of the funniest wrestlers of all time is Kurt Angle. Uh, as would I, and I think that would be a legitimate answer. But I suspect that they mean more Santino or Eric Young. I think it's probably more what they. Well, that's at, isn't it? that's more the way we were talking. But I certainly wouldn't. Um, I certainly wouldn't have any um, issues with you answering Kanga because one of the ones I would say would actually be William Regal. Oh yes, yes. Without but a it's a very that. different type of comedy. It's not sort of broad comedy. It's very sort of. Um, well, very British comedy, really, I suppose. He would argue that it is quite broad, because he, he'll he tell you himself, I'm just a carry-on character. That's, all <laughs> that's what Regan would say. But um, he, one of my favourite ever lines, and it, because it's, it's and it was subtlety, I, I bet it was lost on the... Sorry, America, I'm not broadening you with one, one brush of... Uh, brush of whatever there, but um, I remember Tajiri when Tajiri was, was coming in as sort of like Regal sort of manservant sort oh, yeah. of character and I think it might have been his debut and he was bowing and doing the whole Japanese oh, Tajiri-san all those kind of thing and Regal said to him now stop that lad we we don't do that kind of um, racial stereotype here in the WWF now run along and get me some tea and crumpets and just, <laughs> absolutely outstanding <laughs> outstanding comedy line Fantastic. And, then, and if you want to talk broad comedy, him telling Kamala to bugger off at WrestleMania oh, 17 God. when Kamala was, was dancing on his table. What are you doing, you madman? Bugger off! <laughs> so, no, I would actually, yeah, totally agree with you in terms of. But I wouldn't. I would say, if we're going to answer this question directly, I would not say that William Regal is a comedy wrestler. He's just a guy that gets. Yes, he's, I a, agree. Very, he's a funny act and a, a man with a great comedic timing as are Edging Christian and Mick Foley and Kurt Angle and Steve Austin to an extent and The Rock and John Cena and lots of others. But I think I think the, the definition... I think we're talking comedy wrestlers. I think we're, we're talking about ones that are literally just there for levity, aren't we? Yes. So I, mean, I think Santino has to come into the equation. I mean, it's a bit of an obvious answer, but I definitely would put it on your sheep quiz. Mm, okay. Um, I think he's the one that people most think of straight away. But I think with good cause, I think Santino was a funny guy. I've got two answers to this one. My first one is uh, two guys, actually. It's tag team. Two guys. At a, at a, at a, at a very specific moment in time. Um, and it would be Booker T and Goldust. <laughs> That's a good shout. 
during their period there I don't think I've ever laughed at an act so much as those guys doing their movie reviews and Goldust trying to get into the NWO and eventually Booker befriending him I just thought that was hilarious from start to finish where where Booker gets into bed with what he thinks is that lady and it turns out it's Goldust and phenomenal stuff phenomenal yeah, that's, that's funny I'll give you that one um, my, my other one would be WCW Chris Jericho when he was when he turned first turned heel and he was out and out comedy and he had all the stuff with the Ralphus and the fake Goldberg entrance and the list of a thousand and one holds and all this that and the other because he was he was a comedy heel and I don't think there's ever been a better comedy heel than Jericho in that in that role no good shout um would I be going too far if I said that a comedy wrestler or comedy um act anyway well, what about the Bushwhackers is that comedy or is that just sort of no like no no I, 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 they, they cross my mind as well no no absolutely they're a comedy act I think that um, I thought they were very funny no 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 no. I didn't think they were very funny I thought they were very um, successful at doing what they did you know in W I mean, as a kid I loved the Bushwhackers as a kid yes so exactly I, I'm not going to sit and watch Bushwhacker matches now but as a kid, I bloody loved them. I did the little arm movements and all this kind of thing. I thought it was funny when they licked people's heads and stamped on people's toes and and all that kind of stuff. So I would, I would, I would certainly think of having them high up on my list. Yeah, no, I would. I like I say they cross my mind as well. So I don't think that's a bad answer at all. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think there's some good ones there. So um, moving on. Uh, right, Leanne, our friend Leanne from yeah, Cardiff. Good voice. Uh, that's one, hey, one of my favourite noises. That's, that's, that's probably my favourite wrestling noise as well. Um, greatest promo video package. And this is why I wanted to stop you talking about my sacrifice earlier. Oh, okay, right. Uh, my sacrifice. Yeah, well, Next it, question. it definitely comes into the uh, into the equation. There's a few, aren't there? There's a few that you could um, that you could put in there. My sacrifice being one of them. Um, my way with Rock and Austin um, being another. What was that one with Shawn Michaels? Tell was it? Tell me a no, lie. Oh, you're not having that. Why? Tell me a lie. Why? It was most great. O- most over the top, ludicrously dramatic. Okay, well, I'll I'll have um um, I'll be your hero. Next Express. Please do. <laughs> What does it take to be a hero? <laughs> oh, wonderful stuff. Or, um, um, no, I'll tell you, actually, I've got a genuine one that's along those sort of lines that kind of works. Um, what about, um, uh, I've got to do it in my head. I've got to do it out loud now because I can't do it in my head. But, um, uh, when you came into my life, you were the lucky one, wherever wherever it goes. So the, 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 together our love will last forever, Macho Man and Elizabeth. Brilliant, phenomenal. But don't you think of that era? Then, with that, we'll hear that. Absolutely, song? absolutely, I do. And what was that? Was that? What was the one that was the other one that was running up there? Was that placebo? Wasn't it running up the hill? It was a placebo version of running up the hill by Kate. Um, um, by Kate Bush. By Kate Bush. Yeah. Yeah. Who was that? I can't think. It was who it was Undertaker for, and Shawn Michaels. Was it? Yeah. That was that was that was good. That was a good. It's a great version of a good song as well. So Amazing. That sort of helps when you've got the, you know, the. I'd never heard that song. I don't think until I heard the, that version. Oh, had you not? 
I knew the Kate Bush version, but I didn't know the placebo. I think it was post placebo, wasn't it? I, I think so. Yeah. Mm. The one that the one that angers me no end was um there was that Jeff Hardy video that was a soundtrack to Rooftops. Just went and obviously that's been completely ruined by the lost profits connotations nowadays. Um, I don't know that song. Um, it's great. It's an amazing, amazing video package highlighting Jeff Hardy and a great song as well. But completely and utterly tainted by its association with his singer um but yeah that that is that was a great one and the other one that springs to mind the uh, eddie guerrero tribute video as well okay, I, I don't recall that one only because seen. well i've got there's a great story behind that one actually so he obviously eddie died in what was it late 2005 and about three years later two three years later i was living with a housemate called lauren and she was an absolute massive bullshitter. And, um, Hi, Lauren, she, if you're listening. <laughs> and she, um, one day she was sitting around and she, she tried to claim that she'd been used to go out with this musician um, about six months prior and he'd written her a song. And uh, I said, when was this? She goes, oh, about six months ago. And it got in the charts and all this. I goes, oh, let's have a listen then, knowing that she was talking out of her ass. And uh, she played the song and it was the song from the Eddie Guerrero tribute like two years earlier. I said can I just play you something Lauren <laughs> can I just play you something one of my favourite songs and I pulled up this Eddie Guerrero tribute on a, on, a, on YouTube in its infancy I went yeah that was like October 2005 so I think you must have travelled back in time and given them the rights to do it eh <laughs> she moved out a week later <laughs> oh, <brilliant. laughs> out of oh, embarrassment uh, yeah she moonlight flit uh, and I don't blame her either because um, yeah I shamed her shamed her Big famous songs that got used in uh, so rather than the other way around, rather than a song you didn't really know, um, you know that was used in something. What about a, a big song that was used in something? Do you remember who they did the video for um, for Aretha Franklin singing R.E.S.P.E.C.T.? No, of course I don't. Do you not? No. They did an absolutely tremendous R.E.S.P.E.C.T. Find out what it means to me. Respect video for Bret Hart leading into WrestleMania Nine. No way, did they? Absolutely. I've complete never with, heard of that. Complete with that bit where she goes, sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me, and he was doing the, the ten punch in the corner. Sort of thing. Oh, wow. Um, that's tremendous. I don't know if that's out there on YouTube. I, I haven't seen... If that is out, I haven't seen that for 25 years. No, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah, 25 years since WrestleMania 9. That's right, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. If, if that is out there... I would love to see it. I haven't seen it for 25 years if it does exist. I'm going to look at it as soon as we finish this podcast. But I am absolutely convinced in my mind. So I might be wrong. I might be making this up. I may have dreamt it. But I'm fairly certain that... Uh, I yeah. think it's there, you know. I, the, there's a there's a video on YouTube. The top of, top answer is Bret Hart Respect video. Yeah. And the thumbnail is Yokozuna, so that fit your timeline as um, well. They made the whole thing about Bret. You had to respect Bret. As a, Amazing. As a Amazing. So yeah, that'd be that'd be my answers anyway. Stuff that we dredge up, eh? Hey, well, it's worth putting on was putting up on the uh, on the old Facebook. Oh, good, good good question. Whose question was that? That was Leanne. Leanne. That was Leanne, our friend Leanne from uh, from Cardiff. Lovely stuff. Good question. Cool, right? Joshua Even Morris. She does keep beat, beating me on the bloody sheep quiz. Well, she's going to do that to the end of time. No, hopefully. don't. Hopefully, don't do um, that. Don't don't do what you were going to do. <laughs> what? No, I say you were going to say something about those animals in that country. Don't do it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're better than that. 
I am better than that. You're right. I'm not sure you are, though. So let's move on to Joshua Morris, who asks, what's the most enjoyable wrestling storyline of all time? Most enjoyable wrestling story of all time? Mm. Uh, Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30. Ah, well, he, he actually said we couldn't put that. Yeah, I know. That's why I said it. I don't accept the caveats that... Josh tries to place on us. <laughs> Josh, that's, that's exactly why I said it. That question came in and it said, "What's the most enjoyable wrestling story of all of all time? Every wrestling company that's ever that existed one. on a local, national, or global level, any single one of them, except for Daniel Bryan." <laughs> and it was like, "Why can't uh, we have that uh, one then?" <laughs> I presume because Joshua thinks that's the easily number one, and so anything else other than that is a. Uh, an obvious two or below so we shouldn't pick the obvious one well as great um, as it is we don't necessarily believe don't necessarily agree with you Joshua it was a good one it was a good one very good indeed very good um, I'm, I'm stuck on the word enjoyable it it can mean a, a number of things can't yeah. it um, I've always said that my favourite storyline of all time uh, is Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho second time around yes. 2008 or so just wonderful natural terrific build matches and just a you know a, a serious continuation of, of brilliant stuff that's always been up, up in, as my favourite I've always said that I think one of the most effective um, was Batista turning on Triple H no question because Dave Batista was limited in what he could do and that well you could call it like a two or three year long storyline of him joining Evolution, getting injured, coming back, being part of them, being a tag team champion, being part of Triple H's entourage, you know, winning the Rumble, like all those things that, that, that built into that story over a very, very long period of time, and they milked it for all it was worth, didn't they? You were ready yep. for Batista to turn, and he was absolutely putty in everyone's hands when he finally put the thumbs down. Um, and it made him, and, uh, and Triple H losing to him made him and then the matches with Undertaker after that solidified him and I never thought Batista was all that amazing but he lived that that turn for two or three years and then, Absolutely. And then I think did the very best work of his career building into WrestleMania 26 with um, with Cena but um, I'm not sure that's most enjoyable though it's a good story but I'm not sure the most enjoyable so it's such a, that's such a hard question I think it's it's, it's actually quite cut and dry for me Um in terms of enjoyment, one of them stands head and shoulders above the rest. It's very obvious. Um, Austin McMahon. Yeah. Just just fun. Fun and well done and kept on working so well for a long time. Great moments. Big moments. Big matches. I just thought it was fantastic. It's why it's one of the biggest stories of all time. But I thought it was also the most enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to difficult to argue with certainly in terms of its success um, I have a feeling I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and uh, and suddenly come up with one for this please don't call me if you do well you know for completism I'm sure you'd want to know as soon as I do so. <laughs> maybe you're right yeah. maybe, I, maybe I should leave my phone on if any if any comes to my mind in the, uh, the, the short time we've got left on this podcast I'll shout thank you so much Next question. We've still got. We've had loads of these. I'm, I'm... Oh, mate, we've, we've got a few more to go. Yeah. Okay, and then... well, let's, let's let's rattle through them. We don't let's want to spend too long. Right. John Reyes asks us, "Who is the greatest jobber of all time?" I love this question. The greatest 
greatest jobber of all time. Greatest jobber. Um, can I jump in? Yeah, yeah, good show. Dwayne Gill. Dwayne Gill. When he was Why? Put, well, when he was playing old Dwayne Gill, he was like so stupid with his white mullet and his black tash and his singlet, and he just looked so pathetic in the early 90s and do you know what he looked every time anybody came in the ring to face him that was bigger than him he looked scared he looked terrified he really sold the fact that he was completely out of his depth um, and it worked so well <laughs> so I think and then obviously beyond that Gilbert so <coughs> I think uh, yeah I think he's the best jobber of all time hands down you, you almost shouldn't know should you this is almost like a um Who's the best referee? Oh, wait. It's kind, kind of, kind of. But... Also, you shouldn't know. Like, you see, people are going to... If you are offered... I'd, I'd love to know what this would be on a sheep quiz. But I, I feel like people would say things like... Um, Manta. And, well, he's... and um, you know, and people like that. And actually, to me, then... The, and, you know, I'm not saying that people would say this, but, like, your Salvatore Sinceres and... You know, that sort of era where they they would introduce, basically introduce someone to win for six weeks on on superstars, so that they could then lose to bigger stars on in the main events, wouldn't they? So you had your your wrestlers such as that that were never going to get any serious wins. They would be actual jobbers, and then they would lose to to mid carders mm. or higher Job, uppers. Jobbers to the stars. Jobbers to the stars. They called them. Yeah, but um, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of them around. Um, I mean, is the obvious one to say Barry Horowitz? You know, I know they did the um, yes, the little, it is. They did the um, the little thing where he beat Skip and was it Skip and Rad Radford that he beat? I'm not quite sure. Um, and Hakushi as well, I think, Haku- was on that Haku- run. Hakushi. Um, you know, so there's an argument for for Horowitz. He sort of went back into being the jobber role after that as well. It wasn't like he made him into a uh, a serious character. Um, there was a lot around that with this, of, of, of of that era, weren't there? That were there were they used the same, Iron the Mike same Sharp. Words. Iron Mike, Iron Mike Sharp. Iron Mike. Um, obviously, you could say you could you could even say Jeff and Matt Hardy. I was just going to say the Hardys were good because what you want from a jobber is someone that sells really well and looks like. I think your Dwayne Gill is a really good shout because, as you say, he looks scared. He looked little. Um, he is the best jobber. Like that's why I said it because he he just he looked every time anyone came into the ring. Like say he was facing Yokozuna. The shoulders would be down. He'd look scared. He'd be like, "Right, let's get this over with, so I can collect my money." Yeah. There was, there was no, there was no aspirations of winning. There was no, you know, puffing himself up to look tough. It was like, "I'm here to get yeah. my ass kicked. I'm a punching bag. Yeah. This is gonna hurt. Let's get it done." There was a few. There was Barry Hardy, wasn't there? Um, yes, uh, there was. Glenn Ruth, who became um, yeah headbanger Mosh, a headbanger Thrasher. I beg your pardon. Was it threat? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Sorry, you're right. Um, it was Brooklyn Brawler. Mm. Brooklyn Brawler count? I don't know. Yes, yes. He's right on the cusp, isn't yeah. he? But yeah, I'd be happy you with yours. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fight you for um for saying Dwayne Gill. I think that's a really good because he looked like Old a Dwayne Gill. He looked like a dweeb, didn't he? That's the point. He really so, did. You he know really what? I tell, I tell you who was. I tell you who would have been a good one of that era. Ellsworth. Huh? Yes. Ellsworth would have been a brilliant jobber of that era. He would. He um, would be great. And one that you could argue... I'll tell you who's a, who's a good argument for a, a best job out of all time. In terms of how it built for a little while into a storyline, but he certainly did it the right way. Mikey Whitrack. 
Yeah, well... I know, I know we've been doing WWE stuff, but in ECW, the whole point of Mikey Whipwreck was he just got his... He just took the most monumental ass-kickings. And I'm talking Mi- Mikey Whipwreck before he got a fluke move in and won a stupid title or whatever it was. I'm talking about when he just used to get beaten up every week. Well, yeah, but he was brought... It's slight caveat in it. He was brought in specifically to build to that moment where he won the world title. Did he win the world title? I don't think he won the world title. Are you sure? I'm not. Was it? I thought it was the TV title. Or... Was it the TV title? Was it? Sorry, my mistake. Not, not sure. Well, you, uh, you uh, might be right. You might be right. Let's uh, let's have a quick look, shall we? Something to, be- to begin with. I don't think he. Um... There's people now going to be going. It was the beep beep title. Beep beep idiots. He was the world heavyweight champion. Was that, that was his the... first title though? Was it? Um, it doesn't say where I'm looking. He won the world television been, title twice. It might even have been the tag title he won with with Cactus. Uh, yeah, he won the world champion. World title, you're right. He won the world tag team championship twice between '94 and '96. A year later, he captured the world heavyweight title, and then he would compete. Doesn't actually mention about the TV titles, but um, yeah. So he, I wouldn't count him as a jobber. I think it was the I think it was the TV title. I think he got battered and battered and battered and then accidentally won the TV title. Fair enough. I think that's what it was, but I might be wrong. Well, we will we will put a fork in that one. Yeah. It's done. Um, Adam Trimble asks, "Who is the best one-hit wonder?" By that, I think he means the best uh, the best celebrity or wrestler to make one appearance in WWE. Well, that's a good one. Just like a, a total one-off, and uh, and that's it. Yeah, it's a hard one to answer that one because you know, do we mean one in the ring, one featured event? Because the one that springs into my mind straight away is Mike Tyson, but yeah, technically, so technically match, not a one-off. Well, I don't think he has to have a match. Technically not a one-off because he came back on a. On a well, he had a, he had a couple of appearances on Raw before WrestleMania yeah. as well. Or he had obviously the famous Tyson and Austin, Tyson, Tyson and Austin. And Austin, um, but also the. Um... He came back as a, a guest GM, didn't he? Sort of yeah, he did. He did. He had a few. Um, I'm going to say Lawrence Taylor. Um, Again, he wasn't a one-off, technically. He's a one-off match. One-off match, yeah, but if we're going by the letter of the but law... Oh, but who, who's ever had a one-off, then? Well... Because you've got you know to build up to something. Mm. And you're not having that twat Gronkowski again. Oh, God, no, no, um, no, no. no. But like that's a one, say, that's, a one, that's a one-off of someone like coming out of the crowd or something and doing something on one night. I suppose you have to but look. No at, one's had a um, one-off because you've got to build to a match, surely. If there, there was, there, was, there were loads of one-offs in the um, in the Raw GM era where they had the guest GMs, and there were some really good ones. To be yeah, fair, I suppose that's that's not a Bob, bad argument. Bob Bob Barker. Bob was Barker. Interested. He definitely wasn't a one-off though. He definitely came back at other times because he was so good the first. Time. Oh yeah, he did the slammies or whatever it was, didn't um, he? Uh, yeah, there was a few, I suppose. Jeremy Piven. Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman was actually really good. Hugh Jackman was great. But I don't like that guest. I didn't like that guest Jeremy. I prefer no, to think it like. was a, a one-off. I think the question is about a one-off match. People have had one match. Well, there's so not I'm, that many either that have had well, one match. Well, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. Um, I think. I'm, I think I'm Lawrence Taylor's really. I'm going to answer Lawrence Taylor because I just thought that. I thought he did a really good job of looking tough and hanging in there and taking bumps but at the same time not looking like a wrestler you know I think well, sometimes when they do 
um, you know, when non-wrestlers do a load of wrestling moves, it's not all that believable. But mm -hmm. I thought he kind of hung in there and and didn't look like a, uh, you know, didn't just look like someone that suddenly has been wrestling training, but actually just hit forearms and clothes. I don't think he hit the odd suplex and a bulldog and stuff, but they do look like relatively simple things to do. Um, and he just looked, well, like a, just looked like a tough bastard. I just, I, I liked, it, I liked his appearance. I suppose on that note, then you could say Stephen Arnell. Uh, Do you remember that at yeah, SummerSlam? Amel, yeah. Amel, is it? Yeah, Amel I thought from, um, I thought he was from Green Arrow. From, yeah, with the, um, the the Cody Rhodes thing. That's right. Was it Cody and Barrett against him and Neville? Is that right? Yeah, that was. He did. He did okay. I thought he did a really good job. Yeah. To be honest. Um. um but I think you're right. I think you know in terms of one-offs. Oh, another good one. Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather did a good job. Um, certainly would have brought some eyeballs to the uh, to the party on that uh, on that occasion. Um, you, you, you're, you're not saying Snooky. I'm going to avoid that one. Oh, yeah. Funnily enough, Fair I'm going to avoid that one. So, um, great, Rousey. thank you, Adam. That was a good. <laughs> well, technically, yeah. One technically. So what about karma? Uh, well, yeah, definitely a one-off, mate. One match. Not the great, no, not a particularly good one though, eh? <laughs> um, thanks for that. Anyway, um, Adam, so Tasha Gregory technically asks two questions. I'm going to allow it. William Shatner. She's asking, shut up now. Um, she's asking for the best heel and face turns. And I've actually written a list for this one. Wow, I've prepared. I've like... actually prepared, You've Rob. prepared? How dare you? I know, Spring I know. questions I... on me. You've prepared. Okay, if you prepared, do, do one of yours while I'm thinking. All right, so I'll give both. So, um, uh, my best face turn. Now, I was actually going to say Batista, but okay. you kind of ruined it earlier. Well, you can say that. Well, you can back me up. Um, it was a brilliant turn. And for every for every reason you said, it was it was well executed, slow burned, and it meant something. It made Batista for you know he, he became a main eventer from a backup bit of muscle to being an absolutely credible money drawing crowd drawing main eventer so really you don't get much better than that but I'm going to split my vote between two um, an older one and a newer one the older one was the face turn of Virgil against obviously against Ted DiBiase back in the day when he rebelled against being his manservant and took him out up. amazing absolutely amazing slight caveat is that he turned to garbage quite quickly afterwards and it meant you know all you'd got was a glorified jobber um, out of it in the end but great turn but my probably my favourite and most fun one was Hulk Hogan at Wrestlemania 18 bringing back you know coming back and becoming the Hogan of old turning on the NWO posing with rock and then launching like the summer of Hogan on Raw and SmackDown. The the the, the the pops he got after that and the fun stuff he did. To me, that was one of my favourite ever face turns. Okay, um, I'm gonna say you obviously have to look at the the double turn at WrestleMania 13 with Bret and Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you obviously have to look at um. I know you said WWE only, but you you got to look at um, Bash at the Beach, Hogan, Third Man. Well, that's a heel turn. We can come to that. Oh, we're just doing baby faces at the moment, are we? Right now, I just did baby faces. Oh, okay, yeah. we're just doing baby faces at the moment. Um, okay. Um, I mentioned I sort of 
vaguely mentioned it before in terms of uh, um, Savage and Elizabeth um, and the, the, the whole wedding story but um, Randy and Liz getting back together at Wrestlemania 7 is a wonderful moment oh yeah do you know what totally didn't cross my it mind what a, the really what a great... wonderful moment and the, the, the absolute highlight of it is when Randy opens the ropes for her Oh mate, and yes. It's like, what that is? A, I don't. I mean, people now are going. Oh, it's some sentimental crap. I don't care. It is a wonderful moment. Oh. Gen, I genuinely tear. I mean, I tear up at bloody anything. When the Olympics was on, I cry for three weeks. So <laughs> I tear up at anything. But it genuinely tears me up. That it's a, I think that's a brilliant. Oh mate, you, you are absolutely right. Hands down, amazing. Yeah, fully with you there. Um, let me try and think. Heel turns. Well, I mean, I think there is one heel... I mean, I just mentioned the Hogan third man. And again, yeah. it's trite, but I mean, it just... It's so easy to say it's almost become cliche, but there's a reason for that. Sometimes it's because it's it's so effective. Um, it's the barbershop window. Yeah, I've got that it's one written down. Window, Amazing. It's like the perfect... I mean, heel turns are often, you know, a partner, aren't they? Yes. And it's a partner and a partner. And, you know, to, you know Sean, super kick pick him up through the window Heenan oh I knew he was going to do that um, he don't need Janetti I just it was and that's a bit of a missed storyline I mean they ended up being projected over a couple of years and never really came to fruition um, you know properly like they would have liked it to but that's a great great heel turn yeah mate that really is it's hard to beat that one and the Hogan one um, couple that I'd put up against it um one you mentioned earlier, Jericho in 2008 to kick off the Michael storyline. Yeah, I mean it was a bit of a, it was a sort of a slower burner that one. It, it was. It was it not immediate. It was it not immediate. Over a couple of weeks, and he was sort of teasing being pissed off with Michaels and calling him a faker. I suppose it. Re- well, well, I tell you what. No, here, here let's talk about the trilogy. Because I've talked about the first one, and you've talked about the second one. Jericho turning on Michaels. Ah, yes. What I know where you're going with what this. Yeah, smashed him through a window. Uh, the Jeritron 2000, where it was. The Jeritron 2000, and it was the that was the symbolic barbershop window. Jericho yep. turns on Michaels by slamming him through his version of the barbershop window, which was the TV. And what's the third part of the trilogy? Mm-hmm. Well, it's obviously the Festival of Friendship. It's the Festival of Friendship. Kevin, yeah. Kevin Owens doing the same thing to Jericho. Um, but not technically a fa- uh, heel turn because they were both heels. No, I'm not. Saying, I'm not saying it was a heel turn, but yeah. I'm saying that it's the it's the trilogy of those moments. Mm, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's obviously like one passes to another, and I'm, I bet your bottom dollar Jericho came up with both of them. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. But um, they are they are brilliant moments. Um, and another couple I've got um, in terms of iconic ones. Um, Andre turning on Hogan in '87 yeah, has to be said. Led really to, great one. Led to huge business. The oh, led to the business really in a lot of ways, isn't it? Um, a couple of years later, the Mega Powers, when the Mega Powers exploded and Savage turned on yeah, Hogan. Again, again, slower burner. But didn't take away from the moment that it happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then one that's uh, another one more modern, um, The Rock in '98. When uh, when we'd all been led to believe for a few months that he was becoming the next big face, and then out of something we should have seen coming a mile off, with Survivor all the clips laid out that night at Survivor Series, absolutely brilliant storytelling. We should have all seen it coming a mile off. Nobody did, 
and boom biggest heel in the business straight away um so that was it and then one that would probably you just, sit you call that a more modern one and it's 20 years old well yeah well more modern than the others I suppose you're right it's closer to the old other ones than uh, than the modern day but anyway the other one I've got is definitely a step below them but one I remember really fondly was just after the invasion so it was like November 2001 December 2001 um, it was where the Undertaker turned heel um, on Jim Ross basically like, you, be- that, was it? You, you better than me you think you're better than me Jim Ross I've been kissing these guys ass all you know, for 20 years you won't kiss his ass you're better than me phenomenal mm. phenomenal do you uh, remember the Undertaker turning back baby face yeah it was against Jeff Hardy yeah I was really, a really understated baby face turn yeah in absolutely the sense that they never really changed his attitude they just basically had him Jeff just wouldn't go down and, and Undertaker just kind of went incredible like, yeah. Jeff Hardy being really good turned Undertaker babyface yeah I know I watched it literally three or four days ago did you? Yes, um, I haven't seen it for years it's a great, it was a great match it was amazing um, but yeah so that was that. they're the ones I would pick anyway uh, your modern might be um, 1998 my modern, <laughs> is twen- my modern is 2017 Ooh, what about on. the heel turn of Tommaso Ciampa on Johnny Garcia oh Go on then, yes, please. I mean, it's just as perfect as you want after a truly great match that they lost and were taking the bow on. Bang! There goes the champer, and it's like, did you see it coming? Probably, but had you forgotten about it during did the night? Did you? Oh, I think there's been talk about them breaking up and doing the angle for a little bit, but on the actually watching it, I'd forgotten about it. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those ones where you kind of go, in the moment when he hit him, you just went, shit. It was like, I, no, I think it had been talked about as that was a likely thing to happen, but I'm not saying that the the TV had necessarily given that away. So no, I Fair enough. Wonderful, you know, perfect modern-day example of showing that you can still do it. You know, that you're not necessarily still, um, you know, wedded to the uh, um, wedded to the ways of doing things. And hey, listen, I'm not going to say it's up there with the greatest of all time, but how are people going to be talking in 10, 15 years' time about Shinsuke turning on AJ? They might. Mate, well, hey, look, it depends what happens over the next few months. Happened at Mania, and if he if he turns mm. out to be a brilliant heel over the next uh, then they will the next little while, then that could be uh, that could be something. And hey, let's talk about let's talk about the worst one because the worst one killed the best ever WrestleMania. Are you talking about Austin Rock? Austin Rock WrestleMania 17. Mm. The reason I can't ever put it as my best ever WrestleMania, most people do. The reason I can't is because I just didn't like. I couldn't stand the ending. Yeah. Great, great, yeah, really, great, great, great WrestleMania. I can't hack the ending. Really confused the crowd there, didn't it? Um, they still cheered for Austin. Yeah. It was in Texas, they, they still they didn't want to they didn't want to know about the Rock. So. Not. Well, the Rock, one of the most popular wrestle, wrestlers of all time, got booed out of the building two years running as a as a babyface. Yeah, that's true actually. Bonkers. Um. Mate, we've got four more. I want to really rapid fire these okay, in terms of, I just want one word, one word answers really. Okay. Um, Callum Thompson asks, greatest pay per view excluding WrestleManias? Uh, pay per view concept or specific one? No, pay per view, specific pay per view. Oh, Jesus. Uh, on, in, uh, in the spirit of doing things quickly, I'll say SummerSlam 91. But it's a it's a personal thing because it's my first ever pay per view. Wow. It's, what got, okay. me, it's okay. what got me into it. I wouldn't say it's the greatest. 
it, but it's the first one that springs to my mind as being my favourite um, because of what it means to me. Uh, what else is there? Uh, see, I, again, I'm not very good at remembering. There was a SummerSlam a couple of years ago that was absolutely frighteningly good. Is this is this you rapid firing? No, oh, sorry, gone. I can't, <laughs> well, I can't. I've, I've got no memory, so I can't rapid well, fire because I can't remember I'll, no memory. I'll, I'm going to say two. I'm going to say my two favourites other than WrestleMania: SummerSlam 2002 and Money in the Bank 2011. Oh yeah, perfect. The punk one. Yeah. Yeah, great. Perfect shout. top to bottom. Absolutely outstanding shout. I'd go with that. And do you know what? If I can, you would never expect me to say this. But of its time, of its genre, and not knowing then what we know now, ECW One Night Stand 2005. Oh, right, amazing. Um, so achieve. You'd never think that would be me answering you that, especially not with, you know, there being more head chair shots to the head in Mike Orson versus Masato Tanaka than I'd like to see in every company in the whole world in an entire lifetime. Yeah. But the vibe on that pay per view and how they pulled it off, oof, so good. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Right, next one. Uh, Christopher Roberts asks quite a wide open question. What's your favourite ever wrestling weapon? Um, Define that however you like. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go really simple, really simple and obvious steel chair. Can't beat it. Yeah. Iconic. It's it is a staple. You know, it defines wrestling. It's it's versatile. It's the steel chair. I'd be tempted to go for the sledgehammer if they hadn't have done it into the ground and used it just too often. Well, the problem with the sledgehammer, it looks intimidating, but you can't bloody hit anyone properly with it. Yeah, I'm sort of willing to. <laughs> nah. I want to. I want to say. It's, I want it to be someone's um, weapon. If Triple H was such a badass heel, when he hit someone with a sledgehammer, why don't he just swing it at them rather than putting his hand o- hand over the top and jabbing them with it? Yeah, fair point. It, fair is point. it ineffective? It looks amazing when but he's just brandishing in, but, it. But if he's in the middle of a match and it's twenty minutes and it's going backwards and forwards and he reaches the sledgehammer, what happens? Well, yeah, obviously, but reaction. Mm. The, the, the getting the weapon is all about the reaction, and that everyone gets chairs all the time. Um, what about the big boss man's nightstick? Yeah, not a, not a bad shout. Um, yeah, that's not that's not a. I like that one. Not, not the worst shout. Um, uh, cornet tennis racket. Yeah, up there. You because know, the whole idea of the cornet character is is a simpering fat unathletic mummy's boy that's bought his way into the wrestling industry and he manages these teams and he hits them with and imagine hitting with a, a tennis racket who carries a bloody tennis <laughs> racket what a heel so I, there you I'll, go I'll go I'll go I'll take Corny's tennis racket cool okay um, on the subject of weapons let's stick with one Leroy Cleesby Sir asks uh, and I think it's probably quite an obvious answer for me on this one Leroy but who is the greatest guitar wielding wrestler of all time Van Hammer oh sorry Van Hammer Man Mountain Rock oh sorry <laughs> I jumped the gun there didn't I you really did no it's obviously uh, Jeff Jarrett yeah of course it is ain't he great ain't he great he's the chosen one 
Who could it be? Could it be anybody else? No, is the answer. Let's finish off then um, on a fun note. Ian McSim asks, what is Bobby Heenan's greatest insult? <laughs> what is his greatest insult? What is his greatest, what's his most memorable insult? For me, it was uh, it was not a one-off, but I just loved how he used to rag on Roddy Piper in his skirt all the time. It's, it's not a kilt. It's not a kill. It's it's a kill. It's not a skirt. It's definitely a kill. Thank you, Roddy. It's a it's a kill. It's a skirt. You damn skirt wearing. <laughs> you skirt, you attack Ray Flair. Skirt wearing freak. Um, <laughs> I uh, I might have said this on the podcast quite recently, but I'll say it again. I like when um, Gorilla Monsoon. I think it's at WrestleMania eight. Gets on at Bobby for not seeing something properly, and Gorilla says, "You ought to go and see an oculist." And Bobby Heenan says, there's nothing wrong with my feet. It's just a, <laughs> it's a good old-fashioned stupid joke. It's not really an insult, though, is it? Um, yeah. uh, I like it when, at WrestleMania 17, Bobby and Mean Gene come back to do commentary on the gimmick Battle Royal, and Iron Sheet comes out, and Bobby says, by the time the Iron Sheet gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 39, or, 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 or something like that. He makes up a number, I can't think of what it is. Because he's taking, he's taking so long waddling into the ring. That's quite a good fun. That's quite a funny one. Oh, well, Bobby had, Bobby had one for every day of the week, and and, and twice on Sundays. Bobby was unbelievable. So we, um, if you're interested in our thoughts on Bobby Heenan, if you go back and look on your timeline when Bobby passed away, we did a, an episode talking about him for at length. Um, he was a yeah. geni- he was a genius, and you know I think Corey Graves is doing a very very fine job as being. I'm not saying the successor to Jesse's uh, to to Bobby's crown and the Freudian slip there about saying Jesse but I'm not saying that um, you know he's the successor to Bobby's crown but I do like how Graves is entertaining but still a heel yeah I'm not as big a fan as you actually I'm not as big a fan as, as Corey Graves um, there's too much the, of him there's too much of him he shouldn't be on two shows I just I just don't rate him oh, okay well I think that's mm. wrong <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, wish hey, he wasn't on, I wish he wasn't on two shows he's ubiquitous because he's on Raw and Smackdown and the pay-per-views there is too much of him. I wish he was just on Raw. But um, yeah. uh, that's a conversation for another time. We will get into that another time. Yes, greatest commentators we haven't done. Greatest moonsault. Greatest dropkick. Greatest powerbomb. Greatest, greatest, greatest animal. Greatest animal. That's what you want. You want it's Coco Beware's Parrot, by the way. Yeah, greatest gym. Greatest gym. Yeah. <laughs> Gold's gym. <laughs> Gold's gym, Venice Beach. <laughs> Very good. All sorts Guys. of things we could have done. We'll do this again at some point, so uh, this will not be the last of this motif. Um, maybe, hey, maybe we can even get Jeff on and we can do some greatest with Jeff. How about that? I don't think that'll be a problem. Yeah. We can get Jeff on and do some greatest with Jeff. That'll be uh, something we can do before, uh, before we get to July. Um, this has been fun. Listen, thank you very much to everyone for your um, submissions. Um, I suspect there was probably uh, a few more that, um, that came in during the show that we didn't get to. Maybe we'll, we'll answer a couple on the actual Facebook page itself, Paul, if we didn't get it to. Uh, sure. Uh, if we didn't get to it on the podcast, but um, uh, we'll try and do a few more of these sorts of um, interactive um, episodes. I think they're quite fun when we have a, a topic to hit on and can just discuss. And listen, we'd love to hear your, your thoughts as well. If uh, if you particularly think we're talking nonsense or you're sitting there going, how have they forgotten so-and-so's babyface turn? Tell us. Come onto the Facebook page. Tell us. Send us an email. Um, if it's good, we'll talk about it on the show next week. And listen on and any week, if you'd like us to talk about something on the podcast, just tell us. Tweet us. Send us a message on Facebook. 
you know, I'd like to hear this on the podcast. Oh, and hey, we'll do it. We're we're happy to uh, we're happy to take that. This podcast can go wherever you uh, you want it to uh, to go. Indeed. Um, cool. We haven't we haven't really done any kind of like what's happening wrestling at the moment um, sort of chat. Obviously, backlash is on the horizon, but um, we're not really uh, that's not really our thing, Paul. Is it to necessarily always do? Well, um, reviews and previews and all that kind of stuff, but we'll certainly talk about it when it comes around. Uh, yeah, not always. If anything interesting happens at Backlash, we'll have a little chit chat about it next week. If not, we'll think of something daft to do. No, we'll, def- we'll definitely touch on what we thought of uh, of Backlash, but it may not be our um, the entire show's motif. That's what I'll say. Fair enough. Okay, everyone, thank you very much for uh, listening once again this week. Uh, it's been a kind of a, a bit of a long gap between meals, as it were, but. Uh, Paul and I's schedules are pretty much back on sync again now, so we should be able to get back into our weekly groove, and we'll have plenty of stuff coming to you uh, all the way through the year. Um, of course, as we've mentioned, uh, tickets are going to be on sale by the time you listen to this for the Ain't He Great Tour, Jeff Jarrett, here in the UK, in London, in Cardiff, in Edinburgh, and in Sheffield in late July. Uh, and we're also in London doing the Money in the Bank pay-per-view as a bit of a testing the water to see if some of these, uh, let's call them smaller pay-per-views, um, can fly as far as our parties go in a more sort of cut-down, intimate setting, uh, and we'll see how that goes. How can anyone get involved in all of those things, Paul? Very straightforward. Go to facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling. Check us out on Twitter at HO underscore Wrestling. Um, and if you want tickets, ringsideworld.co.uk and hookedonevents.co.uk forward slash store. Lots of exciting things happening in the world of Hooked On, uh, behind the scenes constantly. Um, there are two things that Paul and I have talked about today, that if both of them come off, are two of the biggest things we've ever done in our professional careers. Uh, <laughs> if they don't, if they don't, then you'll never hear about it. But if they do, Correct. we'll be shouting from the rooftops. So uh, keep your fingers crossed for us that, uh, that things go well. Um, but uh, on that note, Paul, I know you're a busy man, so I'll let you get on to, in, you know, to organising the 17 different things you're doing at the moment. <laughs> uh, and I will look forward to trudging off to Gillingham in the hope that we can turn around seven goals from uh, from Charlton Athletic, which I don't. Think I've got happen. every. F- no, no, I can't even pretend. Happen. No, right. Next next year. Maybe next year. Oh wait, wait, just a cotton picking minute. I'm waiting. Did we or did we not on this podcast last time talk about how long the Triple H versus John Cena match was going to be? Night, Rob. I think that you said something along the lines of seven minutes, which I said was ludicrous, and I said it would be nearer 25. And we ended up agreeing on the, the number of 14 minutes. That was the cutoff, wasn't 14 it? 14 minutes was the bet. Let me have a little look here. Uh, you said you would be happy to go on the uh, the Wikipedia I did, uh, I did. suggestion. While I just look at that, would you like think, to do you think I can? Do you think I can edit the time quicker than nope. it will take to look at it? Probably can, actually. My fingers are very <laughs> slow when I type these things in. While I just look up the... Um, I think it's academic in terms of uh, how long it was. But while I just look this up, can you remember what the uh, the uh, the forfeit was? Mm, I don't think you stipulated for me, did you? God, it was only bloody just over 14 minutes. I know. It was, it was 15.45. Oh, <sighs> I win. Um, well, I think in the stipulation, if um, if I lost, I was going to have to do the um, the Jarrett song, wasn't I? You were going to make me do it on the podcast. Was that that's right? right. Yep, that's absolutely right. But um, but you've lost, and I, so I haven't got a uh, a stipulation for you. So I think over the next uh, 
the next week before the next podcast, I would like to hear from you, Howers, um, what you uh, what you would like me to, to give Paul as his uh, as his punishment. Nothing too bad. Oh, because God. let's let's face it, all he did was be out by a minute forty-five. <laughs> it wasn't, it's, not the, it's not the most terrible thing in the world, but I think we need some sort of uh, uh. some sort of little forfeit um, that he's biffing. Last time he had to sing Maven's theme tune. I don't think it should be anything as bad as that, but uh, I think we ought to um, we ought to think of something. I think maybe uh, maybe our listeners will come up with something. So next week I'll uh, hopefully have got a good uh, a good forfeit for you for. Um, for incorrectly suggesting that John Cena versus Triple H uh, would go under 14 minutes. How how much did that ruin your evening when you were watching that? Not one single second, I have oh, to be honest. Liar. I'm not going to sell that one for you. Absolute liar. Mm, no, it was it was the least of my concerns. I was having a fantastic night. Um, it, I remembered it very midway through the night and was like, eh, okay, fair enough. Um, but now I'm a little bit more concerned. Okay, um, well done. <laughs> well done for um, trying to uh, not sell that at all. That's very impressive. Um, we will uh, we will move on and we will end it there. So thank you for being part of this, I would say, the greatest ever Hooked On podcast. What do you think, Paul? Uh, unquestionably. Um, let's just hope a Saudi sheik shake pays $150 million for it. A Saudi sheik shake. Saudi sheik shake. How much shake? How much How much sheik can a shake shake sheik? Anyway, I'm not going with that. Um no, and neither should you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, remember to uh, check out the upcoming Jeff Jarrett tour and the Money in the Bank pay for you. We'll be back next week talking some more wrestling-related stuff, a little bit of backlash and a little bit of whatever you'd like. So just remember, whatever it is you're doing this week when watching wrestling, just remember one important thing, and that is that it's wrestling, so enjoy it. We'll see you very soon. Yeah.